I just think he's full of SH1T at times. It's like, you know, quoting Kipling to players doesn't work with your Kipling. Probably Mr. Kipling would have been better. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, it's once again Jose Mourinho's world and we're just living in it. Or is it... Is it? I don't know. You tell us. Uh, if you're a Manchester United fan or Spurs fan out there this morning, you're watching the, the scenes. Look at those scenes last night of a bunch of cast-offs and Jose Mourinho, or maybe Jose Mourinho's king of the cast-offs at this point. I don't know. Uh, celebrating glory in the Conference Cup. Is it conference, conference League, league? for God's sake. Is it the Cup Final, League Final? Champions League Final, Conference Cup. Yeah. All, conference all, League Final. All of, all of Europe is a league. Maybe that's, that's, maybe that's the issue with the, the League Cup. They're saying that on the, the back of the London Times this morning, the League Cup could be gone. If they change their name to the League League, they might actually have some chance of surviving into the 21st century. It's confusing calling it the League Cup. Yeah, it is. Like, it, it, it really is. Are the, you a league or are you a cup? Exactly. Exactly. Because Europe has paved the way for us and uh, all cups are now leagues. Um, do you want to do a quick bit of trivia? Go for it. Jose Mourinho is the second manager to win five major European titles after who? At different clubs? No. Five UEFA European slash European titles. Full uh, stop. Who was the, the Real Madrid manager? Um, it's not the Real Madrid manager. Carlo Ancelotti. It's, it's not. You're, you're in the right country. Never right nationality. Uh, oh my God! The long COVID. The the former England manager. <laughs> no, no, it's not former England manager. But he is a former international manager. Who you might be quite familiar with. Uh, it's Roberto Mancini, Arrigo Sacchi. No, a, for, a former Italian. Cor- correct last letter in the surname, <laughs> as you can imagine, he is Italian. He has managed at an international level. He brought a team. Giovanni Trapattoni. Giovanni Trapattoni. Wow. wow. It's a very impressive... Uh, Opta, yeah. Credit for that statistic. He won five European titles. Yeah, Jose Mourinho, the second manager to win five major European titles after Giovanni Trapattoni, with Jose now winning the UEFA Conference League, the UEFA Champions League twice, and the UEFA Cup slash Europa League twice. Decorated. If only Trapattoni had shown us a modicum of respect, just like a little crumb from the table, we, we would have loved him. All he had to do was give us a little attaboy. They're not as bad as you think, lads, as opposed to these chumps, like they're really not good at football, lads. I mean, you should see the stuff that I'm working with, which was basically the tone of the press conferences. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. It, it, it brought us right in check at the end of a decade where perhaps as Irish people, we just got a little bit ahead of ourselves. What we needed was a bit of a, a Trapattoni uh, attitude to our lives. It was, uh, it was like a, a forceful immersion in cold, hard water. Yeah. That's what we got from Trapattoni when we were like, oh, we're, we're a first world nation when it comes to football. Look at our, the Dublin District Schoolboy League is the biggest European football league in, uh, for underage kids in the world. Like, uh, he's like, uh, non-A can't be on A. <laughs> Pointing at us. Like, and it wasn't even, you wasn't even point at the player, there's a point at the hacks. It's like, um, your dad going abroad and speaking in Irish trying to you know slag off foreigners except Nani Campione is, is something that we could probably understand <laughs> <laughs> every single every single syllable of it resonated like oh he might be right <laughs> ah, so close though so uh, maybe do we do we underappreciate Trapattoni is that what we're saying I think that obviously when we have conversations you won five titles yeah that's not bad not bad it definitely is it's like 
the number one thing you think about with, with Trap and number two isn't even close. And number two is probably what him being angry at a Bayern Munich press conference. That's probably the second thing that comes to mind with Trap these days. I, I definitely don't think of him as five time European uh, was winner. It not Salzburg. Or was it not? Oh, it was, a, it was possibly Salzburg. Or whoever the Austrian team he managed. Yes, to. quite possibly, actually. I'm getting my angry press conferences mixed up here. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's how far ahead uh, Trap at Ireland is in all of our consciousness. Everything else just fades into the background. I see, too, from uh, my Twitter feed last night that um, apparently all those players who used to be rubbish are now really good. They're really good and they can uh, also shit house with the best of them. Smalling in particular. Chris Smalling is definitely one of the names that you, you see there and think, wow, that's, that's a, a hell of an achievement for him. There was a moment around 80 minutes into the game, Roma holding a 1-0 lead where Tammy Abraham gets fouled pretty softly, goes down holding his knee, rolling around and gives a wink to Jose Mourinho as he's rolling around. <laughs> <laughs> so he has absolutely instilled them with everything that it means to be Jose Mourinho. And, like, I mean, it's you see the celebrations at, at full time and it's it's obviously kind of it kind of vindicates the competition in many ways. And Jose says afterwards is it, that he's going to hang around. They finished sixth in Serie A this season so wasn't an amazing season for them um, in, in the domestic league you could make the case that maybe they are the, the sixth best team in, in into, the, into the league though and uh, would they have would, was uh, pardon my ignorance but was finishing sixth good enough to get them into Europa League anyway yes so did, this was just a trophy for trophy's sake I think so yeah I, I think the fifth and sixth Lazio and Roma both get into the Europa League next season I think um, Italy have four places for Champions League at the moment ok uh, do people care about this tournament no but we care about Jose Mourinho and we care about the the scenes that we see at a final. I think that everybody, when they see the closing stages of a decider on their TV, is not switching it off. They get drawn into it and they realise that the stakes are relatively high. But nobody cares about the, the early stages of this. I would say all the way up till and including the semi-finals, nobody cared about this. And then Jose Mourinho and his reaction in the semi-final was something that, that drew us in. And the fact that there's going to be good teams in it next season and the fact that a good team wins it and somebody as celebrated as Jose in his career is that maybe layer on a little bit of extra spice when the Irish teams get into it next year yeah definitely like I think that the conference league is the thing that we probably need to be looking at more from an Irish perspective there's been an argument put out there that none of the top leagues should be taking part in this at all that they have enough in the Champions League and the Europa League and I think there's validity in that argument the only side of that is like if Roma are the draw next season whoever is the Roma equivalent um, from Italy or from England are the, the team who get drawn against the Irish team you get much more on the gate than if yeah. it's uh, the gelatinous group of Eastern European teams who come here and in the past would have routinely beaten us 3-0 with their technical superiority hashtag cliche yeah exactly we, you want teams to, to come to Ireland and feel like the, they we are non a campione and uh, feel that they can smash Ireland the Irish teams and, uh, and, and then for them to be surprised exactly oh <laughs> campione <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Well, I, I guess it is the definition of non a campione league, really, isn't it? That's that's why it's the conference league, whatever that is in Italian. But yeah, it does add glamour. Jose and the Italian teams do add glamour to it. But like, I think what you had in the Europa League, it got to a point where year on year, everybody was like, OK, this thing actually does matter. And then the English and Spanish teams, until this year, obviously had it sewn up that you might just have that same thing happening with maybe a, a bigger collection of leagues anyway in the conference league over the next couple of seasons. OK. So, all in all, a success. I think so. I think so. More more games, more Jose. Who can complain? All right. There's loads of other stuff to get into. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. 
We've got Paddy Andrews coming your way in about uh, 10 minutes' time. Ross Hamilton is going to preview the Heineken Champions Cup final, talking to us about rook speed, red zone efficiency, and other such stuff uh, based on the data at 10 past 8. Sports pages with John Duggan at 8.35 and indeed the front pages as well. Dermot Corrigan is going to preview the football Champions League final for us at 8.50. We've deal or no deal, the first of the new season. I know you've missed this, even though it kind of never goes away anymore. And... Um, and then some rugby more coverage for you at half past nine this morning. If you have anything you'd like to get off your chest or indeed uh, you feel like you need more of this top quality content, then the thing to do is to hit subscribe on our YouTube channel or drop a comment for us and uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, OK, so the Ireland squad named yesterday? Yeah, this is on uh, a lot of the back pages. If it's not uh, Mo Salah talking uh, about his decision to stay at Liverpool for another season then it's uh, there's a good bit on Stephen Kenny and his press conference yesterday announcing a squad one of the things sorry go ahead oh, no, go on, go on, go on. I was just going to say one of the, the main things is the, the goalkeeping competition which is nothing new it just seems that the only thing that has changed since the last international window is that all three goalkeepers have almost strengthened their own individual cases to become Ireland goalkeeper and this idea that we had that we're going into a future with three top class goalkeepers looks even stronger than before yeah it's bazoo news it felt like but all of a sudden a little bit of doubt has crept in by the words of the manager that this is up for grabs because yeah. it's a new campaign. Mm-hmm. And so if you get in at the start of the campaign, you're going to be the goalkeeper for the whole campaign. Yeah. If, it always felt like Travers was third of the three because he he's a, a moment, which I still don't really blame him for. But the Mitrovic chip is it? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, this, this thing happens. Okay, so maybe you're in the wrong position, but maybe your defence was also, like, maybe you had to do something there because nothing else is going to happen. Like, uh, I don't know. It feels... I, I wouldn't blame him for that and he's also played the most high quality football a higher quality football since then yeah he's played a load of games since then he's got a team qualified for the Premier League since then yeah um, so I, I don't know but Bazuna missed a couple of games and uh, Keller played and played well yeah and I, th- I think you're right I think it, the door is open the thing is it'll close very it'll close as soon as Ireland play a game here it seems and the goalkeeper doesn't make any issues any errors I should say because Stephen Kenny is saying that it's not a position that he plans on rotating in because I think he was asked about that in the press conference yesterday and he says he's not going to do uh, like two games for one goalkeeper two games for another goalkeeper in this window it's probably going to be four for, for one guy whoever that guy is it, do- it does feel that if everybody's fit and just because there's like a bit of a pause in the season now and, you know, the the, the EFL Cup final was um, a few months ago at this point, it does feel that Bazunu still has his nose in front. I, like, I, I don't know. Well, I think he was the man in possession for the biggest games and played absolutely brilliantly. So dropping him at this point would be a big call. Yeah, yeah. And like the question is, is, is it like is it dropping him given Kelleher did come in and play a few games? And, uh, and and was the guy the last time I know it wasn't Bazuni's fault that he wasn't playing but again do you get possession of the jersey by dint of I injury know. I don't know that, that, like because uh, it's so long ago it feels like it wasn't really like the, the biggest games that we played in were all Bazuni yes yes it, it definitely feels that way and it feels that the last window obviously I mean like that, that Belgian team coming to Dublin and the manner of the win uh, like uh, uh, Benny's bicycle kick and all that like that felt important and it feels that that is something that you friendly. take into this window it was a friendly though and uh, like there was definitely more pressure on the team in and around Christmas time whereas when these games the pressure keeps getting ratcheted up like oh people say we're third favourites but we want to win the group we want to win this group like that's um, you know and ultimately he will be given a, a campaign a, a full campaign as opposed to a, a Nations League campaign although these matches are important because if they did if they were to be able to come through these matches and top this group in the Nations League it's a huge 
quantum leap forward for Irish football fortunes. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. Uh, like it, it's, it's you'd like to, to hope maybe that a couple of these teams have have bigger fish to fry. Well, Ukraine in particular with regards to the uh, qualification for the World Cup and that maybe the Nations League isn't something that they're overly obsessed with in the, the early throws of this thing and that that could maybe fall into Ireland's favour they know that they need, they need to get a very good start and as you say the Nations League I think people have opened up to the fact that this can uh, this can really just help you get onto the next level and I don't think anybody's going to be overly complacent about it this is just a huge window for Ireland and if they can start well because they started terribly in all their Nations League campaigns so far uh, I think the mood music would, would improve even even more so around this team. Alright, competition time. This is definitely one of the best competition prizes that we've ever given away on the show. Calling all cycling enthusiasts and indeed sports fans. Skoda are the official main partner of the Tour de France and to celebrate on OTB Sports we have a once in a lifetime giveaway. This amazing prize is a VIP trip to stage 13 of the Tour de France from the 14th to the 16th of July including flights and accommodation for one winner plus a partner. All you need to do for a chance to win is to be available to travel from the 14th to the 16th of July. The dates are not movable. So, to enter, name this Roscommon-born actor who played journalist David Walsh in the 2015 film The Programme. I would take advice from him like I would take advice from a drunk clown. You know, he was, he was a law unto himself. Tweet your answer to add off the ball or uh, OTBAM Twitter account. Each daily winner will win a hundred euro one for all voucher and a Skoda cycling jersey, and we'll go into the draw for the grand prize. Best of luck, Skoda drivers! For another chance to win, check out skodaservice.ie. Um, Mo Salah. You'd say Mo Salah has played this about as well as anybody could possibly play. All over the last twelve months, there's been like the constant drumbeat from the Liverpool fans and the bits and pieces of, of contract stuff, and he goes away and he comes back and he goes away and comes back. And uh, it's like constant questions. Like the, the, the press back at home are like, oh, what's the story? There? And like, the, didn't the, was it the Prime Minister or the Sports Minister was like, oh, I think you should move. You know, that was all part of it. So it's a big story, but it wasn't as big as Erling Haaland and it wasn't as big as Kylian Mbappe. But now, there is no other story in the world of football bigger than Mo Salah's contract for the next 12 months. Mm. And... Uh, some of the biggest teams in the world do not have a superstar striker to hang their hat on. Some of the best teams in Europe do not have the best te- best player in the world at the moment. So what's going to happen? I think the only thing you can actually say to that is, I don't know. I think that it would be ridiculous to say that we know what's going to happen because there's only one person that knows. And it's and even if Mo Salah knows himself, he may not be fully sure. Okay, like, I'm you, looking you, at these you, pictures. You do know some stuff. stuff. You do know some stuff. Well, I know for a fact that he has added to this kind of cloud of uncertainty that uh, surrounds himself I think I think I think he's being very mysterious about it I think we, what we know is Mo Salah is going to make bank that's what we know mm. he is getting paid more than anybody next year he's getting paid killing the Bappe money next year he's getting the signing on fee we've been talking about this on the show for a long time Harry Kane idiot Mo Salah genius that's the difference between one of these players took good advice. One of these players took bad advice. One of these players is going to get a hundred million signing on fee next summer. Can I just can I just like dampen your your Real Madrid your, your hundred million quid genius for a sec? Real Madrid hundred million quid. Paris Saint Germain hundred million quid for him next summer. Yes, please. Thank you very much. What? Well, who says no? For a thirty-one-year-old. That's the difference between him and Haaland and Mbappe, by the way. I'm not saying that a 31-year-old Mo Salah is not worth that money. I'm just saying that I don't think that they're comparable to the situations that we saw this year. 
Okay, maybe not 100, maybe 70 million. But I don't care. It's still, it's still in my world, it would still qualify as bank. I think in, in most Salah's so, world, it still qualifies as bank. Yeah. Because it, otherwise, otherwise, Liverpool get the money or Mo Salah gets the money. I don't understand. I just do not understand why the best players in the world continually allow the money to go to the clubs. Mm. Stop this. Yeah, no, it's a fair, it's a fair point, and I think that the Harry Kane thing is is, is particularly pronounced last year. Oh, I'll sign a twenty-year contract. No, oh, that's a great. I'll shake your hands on a potential move anytime I want to move. I'll shake your hand. Yes, I'll shake your hands. That's fine. Oh, what lovely hands you have! So soft. <laughs> do, you, do you think that it's actually just a fear of injury? And like, but they're already really rich, and yeah. you can buy insurance contracts. You get it. You you pay big money on insurance. I'm going to spend a million quid on insurance over the next four years to guarantee that I get whatever this money is yeah yeah but like that but isn't the insurance the fact that you put pen to paper on a three four year deal rather than going year to year because it's like well I'm guaranteed a quarter of a mil a week to to, to play football even if my form dips or my, my injuries dip like I'm just um, kind of that's just a theory I, I think in reality these uh, players are uber confident and very very self-assured and they I do think it's, there's been a significant shift in, in recent years where the best players are allowing themselves or negotiating a deal with themselves with the with the contract with the club that they're at where they buy out clauses at a low price because remember the buyout clauses were like ridiculous as one was a billion for somebody who was like oh we're going to we're going to make the papers because the buyout clause is huge and uh, it was player, Pedri wasn't it I I can't actually remember something ridiculous right um the right thing for those players to do is to sign shorter contracts and because there's so much money and so many clubs have so much money that even if you do get injured instead of ending at Manchester United or Liverpool or Barcelona you could end up playing for Villa for 120 grand a week for James Tark- Tarkowski yeah. who's, who's, why is he getting the money? Because he's available for free. Like, yeah, if, if Mo Salah is asking himself, will I get a job at Liverpool this time next year if I'm out of contract? The answer is unquestionably yes. Yeah, and uh, it, like at his level, at his level being free doubles his, his salary from 500 grand to a million a week, really. That's what the, the value of the... So it's, say he signs a three-year deal with somebody and the signing on fee is 120 million and the weekly salary is... Is four hundred or five, four or five hundred grand? It's the equivalent of a million a week. He's going to yeah. earn fifty million a year over the three years annualized. So, so why don't more, more players do this? Do you think? Is, is I it? Think, I think you, agents. I, I think one is agents because um, a lot of the agents don't just earn upfront; they earn continuous, continuously. So, like uh, you, you get paid over a period of time. And I do think your point about the like the whole football world is paranoid about getting injured. And uh, that's the end of your career. It's a short career. Is the, is the first thing that, yeah. that, like the the academy recruits are like, it's a really short career, and most people don't make it. So that that conservatism is baked in. But I I do think that what Mbappe has done in allowing his contract to run down, and what Griezmann did in allowing his contract to run down, like that was smart. So Griezmann was a bit of a joke because of the way he tried to become LeBron James and then flopped. Afterwards, twice. <laughs> but he's still rich. He, he, like, do you, in 20 years' time, when he look back and go, oh, I really wasted my career. Like, <laughs> as he sits on top of his gold mountain. I don't yeah. think so. No. I, I, like, and he hasn't, because he won a World Cup. So he's grand, you know? Yeah. Like, it's been okay. It, it is. Like, I mean, like it's also as well, you, there's a heavy dose of hindsight with regards to, you know, choosing Barcelona or whatever, and, or but choosing it, to, it, to stay at Atletico for a while. Yeah, but letting the contract run down, that's the thing to do. It, yeah, you've um, you've made a, a good argument. I'm trying to 
trying to think of reasons why why Salah would would agree it if if he's still up in the air about it, especially if he's not overly satisfied with the the, the salary he'd, he'd have been given. The one thing is, they kind of strike me is that like you know the way that the Real Madrid didn't get Haaland, didn't get Mbappe, are they now looking at Salah? But everything that Salah said about Real Madrid over the last month uh, makes you think there's there's no hope that this, this could ever work as a marriage. But maybe Salah wins on Saturday and in the long run Real Madrid actually benefit because Salah scratched that itch of revenge against Real Madrid. And Is he playing hard to get as well? Is it like, hey, look look at me guys, I'm coming for you. Mm. That's the type of thing where like, you know, Ah, oh, I just they they found me up, and I had to come over and see what they were doing. They're, 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 like they were the adversaries, so now we're buddies. Yeah, yeah, that's like well, we, we can definitely write PSG out of the mix. I guess I, I think that the personal vendetta against Sergio Ramos is something that he'll be gone uh, by the time Salah's there next season. Sergio Ramos, one more season, then off to the off to the Middle East or you Inter Miami. Yeah, yeah, what a team! Or maybe Salah just goes Inter Miami. Well into his thirties at that point next season. That's, maybe that's maybe that's just what he's planning. David Beckham's in on the on the blower to Salah. Um, all right, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. One more thing from uh, Stephen Kenny. He was talking about uh, Michael Obafemi and obviously not available for the under twenty ones, and then not in the senior squad, and then scored loads of goals. So he's back in the squad and hopefully going to score a lot of goals for Ireland. Have a look at this. So they moved to Swansea, which is a great club and uh, a great platform to really do well in in the championship. And you can see you can see really the improvement in his play. I've seen th- I've seen him do aspects of his play that I hadn't seen previously with Swansea. His hold of play has really come on well, and he's uh, shown great football intelligence, aligned to the speed that he's, he's got, the natural speed he's got. So the performance I've seen recently from Swansea are better than I've ever seen from him. So. Um, his rate of improvement has been very high and um, obviously 12 doesn't take penalties and he scored 12 goals in 16 games so he's done very well and what's your relationship like with him? oh Michael's great yeah I've, 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 I've had a few meetings with Michael and uh, you know listen if, every, if everyone was the same life would be dull Michael's a charismatic guy and he's you know he's, he's uh, you know but he, I know he he's very proud to play for Ireland and uh, he, he's excited about uh, coming in and he's speaking about family coming to, to Ireland for the games and so forth so he's he's looking forward to it he's uh, still 21 he's 22 in July and uh, now he's scoring goals regularly in the championship like excellent that's what, that's what we want yeah that, like I think it's a bit of a no-brainer there's obviously reasonable questions about you know not accepting the call up to the 21s last time but hopefully that's the sort of thing that we it's just a, a random footnote that doesn't actually have any significance in the future like his his numbers speak for themselves and also as well he took a look at the competition in the attacking spaces and uh, like uh, again we've got a lot of top quality championship talents but if you're scoring that amount in the championships and that puts you right at the, the, the top of that pecking order obviously the likes of Robinson and Agbeni have proven themselves at both championship level and at sorry at League One and championship level and at international level so they're probably ahead of him in the pecking order but it's interesting to see CJ Hamilton in, t- in the mix as well and another new name uh, himself and Obafemi just add just a bit more intrigue to an attack that was already fairly exciting to watch Yeah and Troy Parrott had a good end of season yeah. as well unfortunately they didn't get promoted but like we'll, we'll see what happens with Parrot next year and maybe he can just go up a level anyway um, so I, I don't know from a position where it was like we have uh, one guy who we can kick the ball forward to who's good at holding it up but never scores to all of a sudden like oh, there's a bunch of young players here who suddenly are showing signs of progress because we obviously lost the run of ourselves when 
We're like, oh, Pirates will be playing for Spurs. Oh, In the Champions family. League. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's the whole point of fans are supposed to lose the run of themselves about young players. Well, we've, we've done the exact opposite as Irish people. Surely our expectations have lowered to the point where it just it doesn't resemble that era of hoping for a player to score goals in the Champions League like Nathan uh, is on holidays at the moment so we haven't got him on to do his end of the year review yet but he put it up in, on Twitter 10 goals for Republic of Ireland players in the Premier League this season the lowest total for Irish players in the English top flight since 1962 Nathan Collins and Matt Doherty top scorers with two goals and I, and I don't think anybody's looking at I don't think anybody's now looking at the squad being like oh my god we're so crap I think everybody's no, looking at better. the squad being like we're quite excited so yeah, maybe that's not lowering of expectation maybe that's just uh, a belief in what the manager is doing or what the, the or the direction these players are going in at least that they don't feel like people who've bottomed out of the championship it feels like they're on the way up well they're not also like at the end of their career having not been that good in the first place who we've just got qualified for us yeah true you know like there's been a, a over the last decade there, we've definitely been in the hunt sniffing around a bunch of those players uh, whereas these are players who it feels like we haven't seen their ceiling yet yeah no that, that's it and, and you'd like to think that maybe Nathan's annual tweet will be a little bit more positive this time next year uh, Travers is not a Bazunas level lads he doesn't dominate his area says Richard and Kelleher is a complete unknown we've seen him play for Liverpool three times I mean uh, 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 your view Richard fair enough and maybe you've watched a lot of Travers in the championship I'm not sure perhaps you have maybe you've seen loads of his games and maybe you've seen that he hasn't evolved at all he hasn't improved even though he's managed to like you know keep his position all season in a team that did really really well um, do you know like there's, he's, he's at an age where he can improve too if, if Obafemi can go to Swansea and get better Travers can get better season on season as a very young goalkeeper still that is the one feather in the cap of Gavin Bazzuni though is that he fits stylistically with what Stephen Kenny wants perfectly and I'm not saying the other two lads do but don't rather but the the, the fact is that we've seen Bazzuni slot in seamlessly with, with what Kenny wants and then on top of that as a shot stopper as a basic goalkeeper he's absolutely outstanding as well so it's it's an embarrassment of riches with, with regards to the three of them and if, if we talk about an upward trajectory with outfield players or being optimistic on that front I don't think there's any question that that's what we're seeing with the three goalkeepers like the three of them could be Premier League mainstays within the space of a couple of years It's 7.56 this morning if you want to get involved we'd love to hear from you 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number our first road show in three years is nearly here the football pod have just added a Mayo legend to the lineup for Castle Bar on the 2nd of June. Joining Paddy and James at the Royal Theatre is a man they had several battles with on big days at Croke Park. It's Keith Higgins. A brilliant night of football chat and plenty of focus on Mayo. It's the football pod with Paddy, James, Tommy and Keith in Castle Bar on Thursday the 2nd of June. Tickets are €20 Euros plus booking fees. Go to otbsports.com forward slash events now for more. And we're delighted to welcome Paddy Andrews to the show. Paddy, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. How's the form? Yeah, pretty good. Um... Uh, who was your most annoying direct opponent uh, in those Mayo games? <laughs> I don't think I can say Keith Higgins anymore. Can I? <laughs> he's, he's kindly agreed to come on the show next week. Um, but there was there was quite a few of them now. Colin Boyle, Tony Vaughan. There was a, they had a whole list of guys who could really annoy you. And uh, was it like physically annoying? Kind of uh, were any of them a little bit chippy with the words? No, and that that, that was the odd thing that I would have spoken about this before. And I think other lads who played in the games, there wasn't a whole lot of mouthing at all, to be fair. Like, it was just a really physical battle between both teams. There's a couple of teams who would definitely be um, 
be talking a hell of a lot to you. But to be fair, with Mayo, it was never really the case. Definitely not Keith. So I'm hoping he talks a bit more next Thursday night now, I have to say. We were delighted that they got Monaghan in the draw because like, if they'd got somebody they were going to hammer, you know, they would have been like, ah, look, the championship hasn't started yet. But the arrival of Monaghan, all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh, this could go pretty badly for us pretty quickly. Yeah, it's it's really good timing. It's fortunate for us. Um, there's lots of big qualifier games next weekend. We'll be obviously reviewing this weekend's football bonanza, I suppose, having four provincial finals. And then we're leading in the Bank Holiday weekend next weekend. There's going to be some big teams gone. Season finished on the June Bank Holiday. So that's a unique situation for, for some of the top teams. For Mayo, you could probably... I think it's inconceivable that Mayo could have two home games in the championship and lose them both and be knocked out. So Monaghan is a a massive test for them. And it is. That's the beauty of the new system that you're going to get these big games. And obviously we have one with Tyrone and Armagh on Sunday up in the athletic rounds as well. But I'd be be tipping Mayo and I'm not just saying that because we're in Castle Park next Thursday. I I think it would be inconceivable for, for them to lose that game as well and be knocked out. Uh, can I ask you about the provincial finals this weekend then, Paddy? Because it feels that you've got two, at least two games that are guaranteed to be great. Obviously, Ulster and, and Connacht, very evenly matched. We'll, we'll see what happens in Leinster. I know there's plenty of uh, very reasoned optimism around Kildare. But one of the games that's not going to be previewed whatsoever this week uh, in terms of a contest is going to be uh, Kerry against Limerick in the Munster final. And I just wonder if Kerry get done this year again, will people look back at the Munster campaign that they've had beating Cork and Limerick as a reason for them not being cooked properly come the All-Ireland series? And on top of that then, is that just uh, an excuse that maybe Kerry reached for last year too easily when they came out of Munster potentially a little bit undercooked and got done in that semi-final? Like, just this idea of Kerry and their last jaw and the mentality that often gets brought up about them. What Munster speaks to with regards to that? I'm not sure you have any thoughts on that. No, look, there's not a lot Kerry can do. And, and we would have had a similar situation through, through our campaign in the Leinster Championship where it wasn't as competitive. Jack O'Connor has been around the block. He has won all Ireland's. He's an experienced coach. Kerry have had enough goals. This Kerry group, even though they haven't won the All-Ireland, they've had two or three years where they've fallen short and there's lessons to be learned from that from it. I agree. I think they'll win convincingly as, as good a job as Billy Lee has done with Limerick. I, I don't think they're going to have any answers. I think Kerry are going to win that convincingly on Saturday. And they just have to prepare for an All-Ireland quarterfinal, whoever it's going to be against. There's no doubt about it. That they were the most convincing team in the National League. They've been the form team year to date. And if they don't win the All-Ireland, there will be serious questions asked about them. They do look like they're a step ahead of the rest, even with Dublin's resurgence. But... There's not a lot they can do. They can't make the other teams more competitive in the Munster Championship. They have to go and do their job. And Jack O'Connor and those players have a responsibility to be ready, no matter who they're drawn against, come the All-Ireland Series in, in, in a month's time. But you can't have sympathy for them. They have to go and get the job done. And I expect them to do it on Saturday. And then we'll see when once they get the Crow Park for an All-Ireland quarterfinal. And the interesting thing is that they were arguably the, the best team in the country going into last year's championship. And they showed really good league form post-pandemic at the end of 2020 as well and we all know what happened last year and the year before and and that's why I'm asking you this question because as you mentioned there you could have used that excuse of oh we didn't get tested enough in Leinster if you got caught cold in a quarter-final or a semi-final during the years that it does feel that this is just not an excuse whatsoever for this group if they come up cold in a quarter-final I wouldn't give them an excuse on that if they don't win it and, and they are caught cold that's an internal thing themselves they haven't prepared properly that something has gone amiss with either their, their mental approach to a game, 
or, or what, that, that's they can't be looking and saying we can't win the All Ireland because the other teams in Munster aren't as competitive. That is not an excuse, and I wouldn't be letting anyone off the hook with that. Um, and if that is the case, if that's the way they're thinking, and that is being used as an excuse and carry, they don't deserve to win the All Ireland. Did you, I, I don't. I don't expect that to be the case. Did you think there was a, a mental frailty there at all in 2019 when maybe they had that lead late on in the drawn game in that final? And yeah. I guess speaking of li- leaving teams off the hook, they might say that they they let Dublin off the hook that day. Yeah, yeah. We were down to 14 men, so they were in they were in control of the game, and, and we were up against it. But I would say that's maybe a little bit of experience for that team for, for Peter Keane, and like that's that's three years ago now. So I get it. Maybe that was for Clifford and for Sean O'Shea and these guys. That A lot of those guys hadn't won All-Ireland before. Peter Keane hadn't won All-Ireland before. So perhaps that was the case. It was also, it was like, for that Dublin team, the most experienced. That was our greatest team. We had a mental strength that we weren't going to leave that behind as well. I don't think there's a team like that in the Championship this year. But that's three years ago, Owen. So now we're looking for positives for Kerry. If they haven't learned lessons from that, a lot of those players are at the forefront of the Kerry team this year. There's no excuses anymore. That ex- they have experience now over the last three years. They have experience from losing a tight final in 19, from losing a game against Tyrone last year, where I feel if they played Tyrone over the next 10 Sundays after that, they probably would have beaten them every time. Well, that, so that that's a really good point, right? Because I think Owen's not actually looking for a positive here. He's concerned about the <laughs> negatives. Right, and that they're flaky. There's a flakiness within the Kerry, this this current group that prevents. But the only way to get out of that year, they have to prove it. We can't go off winning a national league as good as it was, and we can't go off convincingly beating a, a look a, a pretty poor Cork team, and they should win convincingly on Saturday. You can talk all you want about it. The only way they can prove that they're not flaky and that they can get the job done is by doing it on the biggest day. And we're not going to know the answers to that. We can talk all, we're not going to know until we see them play potentially a Dublin in an All-Ireland semi-final or a Donegal or, or one of the big teams, a Mayo in an All-Ireland final, whoever it might be. That's the only way you can answer these questions and the only way Jack O'Connor and all those Kerry players can turn around and say, there, there's your flakiness. We've gone, we've beaten the big teams, we've won the All-Ireland. They haven't done it yet. None of them have done it yet. Hence why there is that question mark. As good as they've been, there is still a question mark about them. There's no doubt about it. And that's just the reality of elite sport. There's no way, like, you, you know, uh, we need to stick our hand in the wound, otherwise we're going to be dead in Thomas's for the rest of our lives. Exactly, exactly. And now that's, there's no definitive answer now. That's why the championship, not just for Kerry, there, there's a couple of teams who have genuine aspirations over the next eight weeks of getting this job done. And that's why it's an exciting championship, probably more so than... There has been in the in the past decade. Kerry are at the forefront of that. There's no doubt about it. They are the favourites and deservedly so on what we've seen. But if they didn't get the job done, like I'd say, those flakiness questions are going to stay there. The only way you get rid of them is by doing the job on the pitch. On the Ulster final then this weekend, Paddy, um, just kind of like looking back on year own uh, interactions with Donegal through the years, I think 2014 is something that people remember obviously more than anything else, but people might forget 16 and 18 when you had five point wins against Donegal at that point, which I guess by the context of that time was was a relatively close run thing in, in, in that great Dublin team's journey. When you were playing th- those Donegal teams, where did you want to see Michael Murphy play? Uh, away from goal <laughs> as much as we could. The, the challenge that Donegal had is, is that 
Michael Murphy's such a good player, and you see this with the best players, they can usually do a really good job in a number of positions. His, I think his most effective position and where all opponents do not want to see Michael Murphy is on the square, with Jamie Brennan and Paddy McBrearty beside him. But Donegal had a need to get him out around the middle of the pitch as well to get the ball up the pitch. And he's such a good player. He could do that really, really effectively. He'd be one of the best midfielders in the country, one of the best number 11s in the country and the best number 14 in the country. So that's the challenge for Donegal. And we've seen it with... like. Declan Bonner's been there for four years now and Donegal have fallen short. There's loads of question marks like we're talking about Kerry with Donegal. They have loads of talent and they have not got anywhere near the maximum out of their potential over the last few seasons. And it seems like they've learned lessons from it and Murphy has played close to goal. That's, I think that's where he's most effective. And I think if he clicks inside in that full forward line, Donegal are a handful for anyone, not just Derry on Sunday, for anyone in this All-Ireland series and it looks like they're starting to learn that lesson finally and the really exciting thing about this matchup at the weekend is that if there's one man you want to ask that question of it's Rory Gallagher like it, it, do you expect him to just be like to Garrett McKinless at the weekend follow Michael Murphy hammer to hammer put him the other way as much as possible or, or how do you expect that dynamic to work oh he'll have a plan Rory Gallagher knows Donegal as well as anyone like we spoke about a lot on the football pod I know Rory as well he is an unbelievable coach and you can see that you're getting the tangible evidence with him with what he's doing with Derry over the last month he'll have a plan he knows Michael Murphy very well whether it's McKinless or not like if if Murphy plays inside I think it would be Brendan Rodgers that would pick him up I think Christian McCaig is pretty much nailed on to Mark McBrearty they've had a couple of battles over the years if he's drifting around the middle of the field then it could be a McKinless job. And McKinless has been one of the standout players in the championship to date going forward. So so does he start asking questions of Michael Murphy going back towards his own goal? And as good as a player as Murphy is, I can tell you, lads, no forward likes running back to their own goal. That might be a plan, but it depends on where Murphy's located. But if he's inside, which I expect he might be, I think it'd be Brendan Rodgers more so than McKinless picking him up. Last one for me. For all the uh, talk of Kildare being able to pull it up to the dubs this year, I haven't met anybody who's a dubs fan who's actually genuinely worried. They're kind of patronising. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're going to give us a game this year, lads. That's great. Wow, finally. Welcome to the party. Um, I'd probably be in that boat myself, Chair, to, to be honest. I, I, look, I, I think Dublin have turned the corner. It feels like there was a rock bottom during the spring and just nothing was working offensively or defensively. Dublin have improved. Look, they've they played two pretty average teams, but you can just see in terms of the personnel they've got back, the style of play, they're, they're back to what we would associate with Dublin. Kildare have been very impressive as well. Like, last year's Leinster final, I remember the build-up to it. They're jet, I think there was that feeling in Kildare as well. It was just a case of, we don't want to get a bit of a hiding here. The way they set up and the way the game panned out, I think Kildare have a chance on Saturday. There's no doubt about it. The winning and losing of the game Kildare have forwards that can hurt not just Dublin but any team. Daniel Flynn, Ben McCormick's in I'd say the best form I've probably ever seen him in. Jimmy Hyland, Derek Kerwin. They can shoot. If Kildare play in the front foot, which I expect they will, more so than they did in last year's Leinster final, there's a belief there if they play in the front foot, the big question mark over Dublin, the biggest question mark in the National League was their defensive system. They conceded 11 goals. It was one of the worst records across all four divisions. They look to have tidied that up a little bit, but they haven't really been tested. They will get a serious test on Saturday. And that will be the winning and losing of the game. 
if Dublin don't get a handle on it and they go back to the, the defensive system and how porous they were during the spring, Kildare have a serious chance of winning this game because they have the weapons up front. Um, and it, look, do you know what? It's probably the first Leinster final in a decade where there's genuine jeopardy in it. There is that, but but I do expect Dublin to come through it. I think the return of Colo Callan and James McCarthy, Fenton and Kilkenny are back to the form we associate with them. I think they'll probably have too much firepower for Dublin, or for Kildare on, on Saturday night. Uh, just one last one then on the, the Connacht final uh, this weekend, uh, Galway against Ross Common. Obviously, we've seen this game twice already this year, but the yeah. conversation around this game seems to be that we're expecting a totally different Galway to the one we saw at the end of the league. Is that is that something you're expecting as well, given what we saw against Mayo? I hope so, for their sake, um, to be honest. I think Galway showed us something against Mayo with Casabar that we hadn't seen from them, that we don't associate with them. If this is a shootout, like the league final, I think Ross Common will win this game. If it's a lovely game of football and we're all sitting there watching the Sunday game and this is a brilliant free-flowing game, Ross Common have, I think they've better forward unit than what Galway have. I know they've Shane Walsh and, and Damien Comer, but they have better shooters. Galway win this game by being more nasty in a way, but just being more organised in the fence, being harder to play against. It's not something you would have associated with Galway since Kevin Walsh really in 2018. And that's why... Keane O'Neill and Park Joyce, the way they set up, they frustrated Mayo. They frustrated them. They were hard to break down and they used their weapons on the counter-attack, the likes of Conroy, Walsh, Comer. I think they need to play that way on Sunday to win this game. But not only that, if they want to have any genuine say in the All-Ireland series, that's the system that will work for them. If they go out and just say, we'll play 15 on 15, I don't think all will win on Sunday and I don't think they'll have any input in the All-Ireland either. So I expect them to play that way. They should have respect for Ross Common and not go in there thinking we beat Mayo. This is kind of an open goal. If they go in with that mentality and that set up in their play, they lose this game. So I expect them to to learn the lessons and expect them set up that way. Frustrate Ross Common, shut down their key players, the Murtas and Dolly Smiths and these guys, and get the job done. All right, Paddy, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. No worries, lads. Bye-bye. Best of luck in Castlebar as well. That's, uh, <laughs> as I said, our first roadshow in nearly three years. The football pod have added a male legend to the lineup for Castlebar on the 2nd of June. If you want to go along and see Paddy and uh, James and Tommy in person, they're going to be joined by Keith Higgins. Uh, tickets available now. You can get them on Ticketmaster. You can also get them on otbsports.com forward slash events. That's Thursday, June 2nd. So just the weekend before the Mayo-Monaghan game as well. Uh, 12 minutes past eight this morning. You're watching OTBAM. We're live every morning on YouTube. You can get us on the OTB Sports app. Of course, you can get us on Twitter as well. Are Kerry flaky? Is that your fear? That's definitely the fear, yeah, because they were flaky last year and they were flaky the year before. So will they be flaky for a third year? in con- And the year before that? Uh, to less flaky in 2019 than they were the last year. Because put it down to flaky. I, I don't think he was putting it down to flaky. It's no, he, he wasn't. Experience just- and... You're up against like an all-time team in their moment of destiny. Yeah, the 14-man thing is obviously what you can throw at Kerry. I'm, like, it's, it's inconclusive, but I do think like it, there was uh, a lack of fortune maybe as well there and it's just a lack of experience. But definitely the last two years were worse if you want to use the flaky tag. All right, 13 minutes past eight this morning. Delighted to say we're joined by Ross Hamilton, independent rugby performance analyst who works with BT Sport and has previously worked with Saracens and England. Ross, welcome back. How are you getting on? 
Good, thank you. Very good. How are you guys? We're all very excited. Well, some half of the studio are very excited about what Leinster might be able to do this weekend. The other half is a bit concerned about what it means for Munster. But uh, we can park Munster for today, and we're talking about Leinster. Um, you've been looking at this. What? What are? I, this is kind of a random enough question. Are there? Are, the last time we had John, we were talking about similar things with respect to the Ireland team. Are there clear similarities between what Ireland and Leinster are doing from a statistical perspective, or are there big differences? No, 100% exactly the same. Um, a lot of people talking, obviously, the similar players that uh, are making up the Ireland team. And I, you can definitely see it from both sides, whichever way it goes, whether it's Leinster first or Ireland first. But it, it's exactly the same. They're playing in the same way, same style, getting the same output um, and obviously doing um, having the success as well, being into the final. Um, but some examples of that to start with, their attacking structure and their attacking output is incredible stats that I haven't seen before don't see in any other competition and to the degree of having so much dominance across so much I mean points and tries is one for the tournament yes that's a straightforward one but they're the most meters the most breaks second most defenders beaten most passes second most carries in the competition just huge amounts of numbers that they're outputting from their attack with their willingness to play just want to keep the ball in hand and play as much as they can um that's really interesting like obviously Part of that, it's hard to know how much it's to do with the the games where the the Montpellier, the first game didn't happen because of COVID. And then the second game was obviously a very angry Leinster team who put up a cricket score really on them. Um, but it, 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 it carries through against the better teams as well, even the Toulouse game, for example. Even the Toulouse game, yes. They, they were able to put their style of, of play on the pitch against the reigning champions in a semi-final, scored 40 points against them at the end of it. It's just impressive, no matter what the game. Yes, that Montpellier game was a blowout, but it was one game. They've still got these stats, you know. They played six other games after that one, so they still have to apply all of that um, to the rest of the games that they're playing, and they can only do as well as they can do against the opposition that's in front of them. So they're still very impressive. And a couple of elements that might sort of link into that, we have some stats looking at game line success and collision dominance, and they're relative. So they're percentage based off of their total. You know, yes, Leinster do have a high total because they want to keep the ball all the time and they play with it a lot. Um, but we can then compare that equally against all the other teams in the competition. And still, Leinster have the highest game line success. They're third best for collision dominance. So even when you take it relatively proportionately to their totals, they are still incredibly efficient and attacking with all of the ball that they have. Their gain line success is nearing 60%. Gain line success, which is an over the gain line carry as well to remember. So not just one that gets stopped on the gain line. This is getting beyond the gain line, which gives you momentum. Um, your ruck speed can link off of that, which I'll come to in a second. Um, but it's so important. And again, because they have so much possession, that pressure of efficiency within their possession and their total just gives them so much go forward and so much power within their attack that they're getting onto all of their opposition, whoever they play. I mean, it sounds pretty impressive and you can kind of see it. Like it, the, the game looks really fluid the way they're playing at the moment. And, and that the, the way that you're talking about the stats explains why that fluidity exists on the field. That, that's it. I mean, for me, just sort of um, anecdotally, their, their structure, their commitment and understanding in their game structure is incredible every team wants that every team trains and they play that and they're professional outfits and they'll have a degree to, of it but not to this Leinster team it is just beyond the level that we've seen before and it's the same with Ireland it, it filters in uh, but so much so that 
they can wear a, a, a negative tackle, a negative collision, get stopped before the game line and all of the team adjusts and they react to that situation and then they can still put the next phase of play into into fruition and they can still get game on the next time it doesn't stop their entire attack as an example in the semi-final Mayafu to lose his enormous second row um, absolutely smashed Caden Doris before the game line smashed him backwards everybody just adjusted and they played the same way it didn't sort of stop their machine going they were so well drilled and so um, so clear on all of their roles so they could manage that and carry on and that is proven in their ruck speed. It's something we spoke about last time. It's something we spoke about with Ireland. But it's the thing we have to talk about. It's the biggest thing that's going on in rugby at the moment. Everybody's focus. Leinster actually had sort of lost the top spot to Toulouse just before the semi-final. So Toulouse had the fastest ruck speed on average in the tournament. After that game, now going to the final, Leinster won that back. So they managed to outperform Toulouse in a semi-final when they had the fastest ruck speed, got so much quicker and so much quick ball throughout that game that they sort of retaken the lead. And their average ruck speed, just for a number to give you some context, is 2.84 seconds per ruck every ruck. And they have close to 100 rucks a game. So the average across all of that is frightening quick. Teams would be looking to get individual rucks around two seconds, under three seconds would be good to average that level. You know, that includes exit kicks when they're setting up kicks to to click. They don't actually do that very much. They don't see, you don't see the Caterpillar kicks with, with Leinster, um, but it does still include those and anything that they get slow ball, it still includes that. So to average that amount of rucks at that at that speed is again just frightening and it gives them that go forward and it gives them the momentum that they can use to then build their attack from after so obviously Ross that's every single player on the team understanding that when a rook happens we're going to try and uh, cooperate with each other and collaborate in a way that allows us to to be super fast how much of it though in in your view is actually down to the the scrum half marshalling stuff as well because obviously you know Gibson Park has emerged as, as a massive leader for Ireland and now by extension Leinster over the last 18 months in particular 100% uh, the, the scrum half is obviously a huge factor of it everything is linked as it is in rugby so getting that gain line success and collision dominance in the first place gets you that front foot so then the defence have to retreat they can't attack the breakdown quite so easily your attack and clear outs players are coming forward so they can clear the ball quicker. And then it's on the plate easier for the nine. So that Ruxby comes away. But yes, Jamison Gibson Park, we looked at his um, distribution ratio, the same with Johnny Sexton, but uh, Gibson Park's distribution ratio is 85% pass. Now that is a, a ridiculously high number, even for a scrum half, who's obviously it's his main job. And I compared that to Toulouse uh, Antoine Dupont in, in the week of the semi final. And Anton Dupont is around 65 to 70% um, pass ratio throughout these games in this tournament. So even arguably the one of the best player in the world, he wants to do a little bit more with the ball. He'll pick and he'll have a little sniper on the base. Jamison Gibson Park seems to have his only mantra of get there, get the ball away, get it into Johnny Sexton's hands or some night or some forwards carrying around the corner, get the ball away from the breakdown. The ruck speed is clear to see that that's, uh, that's where they're getting their, their go forward from. And it does link into Johnny Sexton as well. Then Johnny Sexton's pass ratio is 75%. Now, for a fly half, that's actually huge. You'd probably typically somebody more around 50%. Um, and then sort of something 25% kick, 25% run, that sort of thing. But 75% of his pass, his, his distribution is passing. So both of them just seem to want to get the ball away from the ruck, away from the breakdown, into space, get the ball wider as well, beyond Johnny Sexton, into the 12-13 channel, 
and play where the defence have then become unstructured from that ruck speed. It's just a very, very clear sign that that is their game plan. And obviously, yes, Gibson Park is a huge part of that. This, like that, That's fascinating, the 85% pass statistic from Jamison Gibson Park. Is that going to become, do you think, the trend in, in modern coaching where the scrum half is instructed for the vast majority of the time to pass the ball? And, and I'm not even talking about pass versus run. I'm talking, I guess, here about the kick. And is the, the box kick eventually just dying on the vine here in front of us? It probably is already kind of dying with regards to the Irish conversation, at least. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it depends on the, t- the style of your team. Leicester, for example, would kick a lot from nine and ten, actually a lot more from ten with George Ford. But um, if that is your game plan, the Saracens of old, they will kick a lot from nine because they want to get the ball into the opposition territory and then play from there with their defence. But this Leinster outfit seem to and shows with all the stats and their performances that they want to keep the ball in hand. They don't want to kick it away. So therefore, that isn't a role that's asked of Jamison Gibson Park or any Irish nine. He can just get there, get the ball away. And it's very, very simple. And that's his only job. It takes a lot of skill and effort to get to those rucks all the time with that much speed. But that is his. That is the requirement that they're asking of him. And he does it so well. So if we see Leinster being as successful as they are and is so incredibly dominant, the same with Ireland, rugby goes in cycles, right? And some guy, some teams do things well and other teams will pick that up. Saracens might have started a trend of very defensive kind of kicking away rugby. Leinster is showing the opposite. You can do that with the ball in hand. And this may be a style that then teams want to recreate and, uh, and ask their nines to do the same thing. As a stats guru, is your head in your hands when you're kicking off nine and ten? Or are you like, I can see the, the upshot here? When you're kicking off nine and ten, it's, it's an option. It's, if that's what your team is set up to do, if you're kicking to then go and defend or you're kicking to compete and there's an option for it, there's a reason for it, then fine, that's your game style. If it's, it's when you're sort of not doing anything and teams get stuck behind the game line, they aren't organised, their forward pods aren't set up and you kick the ball away because there's no other options, you know, that's then pretty um, a pretty worrying sight and you wonder why any team would do that when everything is so highly contested in rugby all of the scrums, all of your lineouts, all of your handling skills and everything is so vital and so important. And then you get to that situation, you just kick the ball away. If there's a reason for it, no problem. But yes, if it's if it's aimless, then not a great sign. And that's what Leinster do so well. Again, as I mentioned, even if they get hit behind a game line, they can restructure and reform so well and adjust so quickly that they can manage that and still then go on an attack. Ross, it's great that we have um, stats and analysis to go this week uh, to inject this into the conversation because um, the one like massive asterisk beside Leinster fans in the build-up to this game and all of the Irish papers have had uh, huge features on Will Skelton this week. I'm surprised they haven't done stuff on the Vinopolis this week as well because Leinster's dreams have been haunted by big men brutalising the team in massive games over the last three seasons in particular. That's the narrative, um, but the facts don't quite bear out that Leinster can be brutalised physically in these games. Yeah, not quite. Again, I mentioned it, rugby is so linked, so everything's so closely linked together. It's very rare that you get a situation where you can hang your hat on one specific thing or one metric to say, we lost all of the collisions every single time in every game that we lost, that's how we lost, and that was the only factor. That would be nice, perhaps, to be able to decide that and work that out. And coaches possibly would like that because they could rectify it. But it's not always that easy. And that's partly why we like rugby. I had a look at their sort of three losses in the last three seasons in the knockout stages. 
And there were games where they won the gay nine success. They, they bettered their opposition in the gay nine success and collision dominance. The, the La Rochelle game last year, I looked at the average for the tournament for gay nine success and collision dominance, and they bettered their performance in that semi-final game when they still lost. So they, they played better. They had a higher success rate in collision dominance, etc. Um, in that game, and yet they still lost. So it's not sort of so easy to say, well, they lost the physical battle and that was it. Yes, La Rochelle do have enormous forwards and they're very strong, very powerful. But La Rochelle this season aren't necessarily that so incredibly dominant. I mentioned Leinster's gain nine success and collision dominance is really high. Um, La Rochelle's gain nine success is 12th in the whole tournament of, of every team and a relative number, and their collision success is 11th. So right bang average in the middle of the tournament of, of all the 24 teams, and yet they're in the final. That doesn't scream to me that they are dependent and only focused on their physical battle, and that's what's going to get them a, a win or at least a chance against Leinster. It, it says that there must be other elements to it, and, and we showed again. Leinster don't just lose because they've lost that, lost that physical battle. There are a whole other elements to it, and there's a load of stats that go into it of why they may have lost. A lot of it was around their red zone efficiency, Sometimes they didn't get into the red zone enough when their efficiency was good, but they then um, had high red zone entries and their efficiency was poor. They couldn't match those things both together to get sort of enough points to score to win the match. Um, but there's lots of elements to it. And yeah, I don't think that's the one thing that we can hang our hat on. Yes, there's a there's a chance and that's going to be a focus for La Rochelle because that's the style of play that they may want to may want to play and they've got the players to do so. But it's not just as simple as that for me. La Rochelle's defence is obviously going to be absolutely key to them winning at the weekend. And it turns out they're really, really good at defending that. That's one of the things that has emerged this week as well from junior research, I think. Yeah, two things on that for La Rochelle. So they attack the offensive or from their point of view, defensive breakdowns very, very well. And they do a very good job with it. So they commit zero players to a breakdown, the fewest in the entire competition so far this year, which means they commit at least one, sometimes up to three and four, more than anybody else do. They then slow the ball down very well from that. And that's going to be a big factor for, for La Rochelle's defence, as we said, with Leinster's attacking ruck speed. But also what that does with Leinster is their game plan seems to be pressure. Multiple phases keep going and that, that building out of, of ruck speed and pressure eventually breaks the teams down. If La Rochelle can affect that breakdown, slow it down a little bit, get their defence set and sorted, that they might be able to then hold Leinster's attack. Maybe. Big maybe. Leinster is still going to be very good at it. But slowing down is one thing at the uh, defensive breakdowns, but they are also very good at turning the ball over. They've won the second most turnovers per game in the competition this season. So it's not just slowing down and trying to let their defence get the next phase. They will go and win that ball at the breakdown. And whether Leinster can combat that is is a question again. Leinster's attacking... Accuracy at Rux is second best in the tournament, so you think that they might. But if you link all of those things in together with Arashel attacking a defensive breakdown, what that does mean is they have been very good at defending multiple phases because they don't allow teams quick right ball against them, which doesn't disorganize their own defense, and that they can get set and square and get everybody off the line and go and shut down an attack that's coming. So if they can manage that, they may have a chance of stopping Leinster because Leinster have actually scored a huge amount of tries off of multiple phases. Very typically, you'd see a profile that would look in terms of scoring as the most off of first phase. You have the most first phases, of course, because you have to have a first phase, have a second phase and so on. 
and you've got a, a set structure in place that you can attack from, whether that is still in transition or from a set piece. But Leinster scored more from two to three phases and more again from four to six phases. So they actually almost set themselves up thinking, we're not going to strike, we're not going to score this immediately. Where we're going to get our benefit is setting up the rucks, getting quick ruck speed, getting our structure into place and going. And if Larochelle can apply this attacking nature of the breakdown defensively and slow Leinster down enough, they have only conceded three tries after three phases, La Rochelle in the tournament so far. Right. Only 15 in total. So a big proportion, yes, of one to one to three phases, but after that, they're very, very good at multiple phase defense. Right. So again, if they can apply all those things together, they might be able to stop Leinster. This is the very definition of irresistible force and immovable object. Could well be. Right. That's, well uh, be. that's exactly what we should be looking out for then. Was there anything else that stood out from La Rochelle's stats when you were looking at them this week? Well, La Rochelle, again, I mentioned a couple of their sort of gain line success and clean dons. They're, they're right around average. They're, they're not a team. I mean, they're in the final uh, and their stats aren't as exceptional as we sort of might think, or I certainly might have thought when I was going into this and starting to look at it. But I think that's an element of everything piecing together. They're, again, rugby is a sort of a a multifaceted game that takes every bit of um, detail to come together to get success. So they don't have a huge amount of carries or meters or breaks. I'm looking at the numbers here. Passes the 13th, kicks 14th, gain high success 12th, as I mentioned. Their, their attacking ruck speed is fifth. It's good. It's not fantastic. Their uh, red zone efficiency is good. It's not fantastic. They get into the red zone the 11th most in the entire competition their efficiency in terms of points per visit when they get there is sixth. So, you know, all these very good numbers, are they relevant to a finalist? You know, you might not you might not think so if you took them in isolation, but they all work together to get them into this position. You would say that La Rochelle have, have not scraped through, but they haven't been extremely dominant in all of their games. They've probably played a couple of teams who've been a little bit below par and just about managed to get through, whereas Leinster have dominated everybody. They scored, again, they scored 40 points against the defending champions um, two weeks ago. So La Rochelle certainly have a chance. They're going to have they're going to have to put every element of their game together in order to have a chance. I still don't see it personally. I think Leinster are by far and away the the favourites and uh, going to have to do something incredibly special to beat that Leinster side. And just on the Leinster one as well, I, I looked at their red zone efficiency. It's just one final sort of measure of how good they've been. They have had the most entries into the red zone. It's the highest ratio of entries relative to their possession. So again, they have a lot of possession. They would get there more often, but relatively across all teams, they get there the most. They score the most points in the red zone in total for 47 points at the end of the game from the red zone entries. Their efficiency is the best and their success is the best. So every single time they get into the red zone, more than half of the time, 51% of the time, they come away with a score. So to get a score every once in, in two times you get into the red zone is incredible numbers, is incredible efficiency. And link that into their ruck speed, their attacking stats. La Rochelle, pretty average across the board. I can't see any other result than that. Okay, right. Well, you've made us all, uh, <clears throat> you've made half the audience very happy this morning, uh, Ross. If any, this is brilliant analysis, by the way. If anybody wants any more of it, where's the best place to get it from you? Yeah, I'll put a lot of this on Twitter um, over the coming days. Um, I'll put a lot uh, looking at into the game as well, but both both finals, but um, live during the games, if you're watching on the television, there'll be some of these stats popping up and 
and Brian O'Driscoll is our commentator on the day so obviously he'll uh, link a lot of this in all together at Roscoe Hamilton is the Twitter account you should all follow for this goodness Ross great stuff thanks a million cheers thanks cheers guys that was brilliant uh, really interesting to hear the stuff that you think you're watching explained mm. why it happens and what the the stats backing it up are yeah uh, it's uh, really really good stuff and it's Leinster very are changing rugby that's what I took away from that by the way on <laughs> Leinster are literally saving the game they're like the dubs when they were the swashbuckling dubs I'd, I'd like to kind of just I just hope that Ron Gar is not Donegal uh, but it's, it's Ireland that have changed the game and Leinster just grabbed onto the coattails well which came first yeah. chicken or the egg well, I, what exactly is it? Are we talking about ch- chicken egg when it comes to European success? Maybe it's just a, an unbelievable happy amalgamation where everything is aligned. Maybe, or you know, maybe it's just the, the centralised, um, you know, uh, hub of Irish greatness, and Leinster have just managed to tap into it a little bit better. Maybe, maybe this is all Paul O'Connell's fault. Well, maybe, it, maybe, it, maybe it's the, the the success that Leinster has just become come from the gems that they've picked up from O'Connell in Ireland camp. It would be interesting to be a fly in the wall when like O'Connell and Cullen and uh, the two lads who were involved with the England team at the World Cup are sitting having conversations. Yeah, that would, that would actually be... Yeah, I wonder, like, we, we'll never know, but... I, I do think that, like, less has been made of the fact that, like, the Ireland selectors were ahead of the Leinster selectors when it came to Gibson Park. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they weren't. Maybe the Ireland the selectors were tipped off by... Now, if you're trying to do this with Ireland, then you need to have him in. But, um, I don't know. It's it's just... His book is going to be an interesting book. It is. Of all of the Irish rugby books, it's like... I went from being a sub at Leinster to the Ireland number one and then I became one of the best scrum halves in the world in a two-year period. How the hell did that happen? Yeah. Like, it, 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 it's all a very interesting kind of part and all of this is the chron... Like, how, how chronologically it's all linked because when you talk about chicken and egg, I mean, Schmidt was in charge of Ireland until the end of 2019. Like, is Andy Farrell's reign uh, a reign full of more listening? Kind of... Is he more of a sponge than maybe late-stage Joe Schmidt was? I think you could probably guess that he, he possibly is, considering he's just a younger coach and Schmidt had so much success and is probably a bit more set in his ways. Whereas when Andy Farrell comes in as head coach, maybe there is a, a little bit more of a, a sense of clay to, to what they can do with the team. He's, he's open to the Leinster ideas a little bit more. And also Leinster would have rated Luke McGrath quite highly at the time. Yeah. Conor Murray would have been I very, 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 very important under Joe Schmidt. And maybe that just delays the, the Gibson Park introduction just a, a little bit more on both fronts. Maybe. It's a phenomenal story. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, and, it, like, uh, but also the, the stats are off the charts. Stats that you know, uh, his passing and Sexton's passing. It's well, they have a plan. They know what they're doing. Whenever, uh, but it's also not the same plan as anybody else. Yeah, and the, I'd love to see those compared with like the World Cup, the the 2015 World Cup when New Zealand, that New Zealand team were absolutely at their best and just crushed everybody, except for the semi final. Yeah, like the stats do definitely um, suggest like quite a clear game plan, but also the very central tenet of Leinster over the early stages under Lancaster and Cullen was you know comfort and chaos. That the stats can paint a very sort of you know not not a straight jacketed picture, but one that you know there's a, a very clear routine to what they do, and actually their philosophy is to make their players more comfortable when that routine goes out the window. Uh, McCarty says great stuff from Ross Hamilton really interesting MOC says meanwhile Murray kicks the leather off the ball also this is very good <laughs> the carpet man says if Rog masterminds a victory over Leinster he should be banished to St. Helen- St. Helena and never allowed to return did I get the name of that right uh, right um, 
We have John Duggan in next. We're going to talk football with Dermot Corrigan. We've got Phil Egan on Deal or No Deal and sports pages all on your way. Stay tuned. OTB AM. It's 8.39. You're very welcome back to OTB AM. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, competition time, right? Calling all cycling enthusiasts. Skoda are the official main partner of the Tour de France. And to celebrate on OTB Sports, we have a -a once-in-a-lifetime giveaway. This amazing prize is a VIP trip to stage 13 of the Tour de France from the 14th to the 16th of July. Flights and accommodation for one winner plus a partner. All you need to do to be in with a chance of winning is to make sure that you're available to travel first on the 14th to the 16th of July and you also have to name this Roscommon-born actor who played journalist David Walsh in the 2015 film The Programme. I would take advice to him like I would take advice from a drunk clown. You know, he was, he was alone to himself. Treat your answer to at off the ball or at off the ball AM the Twitter accounts. Each daily winner will win a €100 Euro one for all voucher and a Skoda cycling jersey and will go into a draw for the grand prize. Best of luck, Skoda drivers. For another chance to win, check out skodaservice.ie. It is 8.40. John Duggan is with us. John, good morning. Jaron Owen, how are we doing? Good. Um, a nice, quiet Saturday afternoon for you coming? Uh, this has been an absolute blockbuster. So looking forward to Jaron Owen. Uh, we have Brian O'Driscoll previewing the Champions Cup final. We've live commentary of the game. Then Brent Pope and Conor Morris down in the south of France and Marseille from 4.45. We're on air 1 until 8. We also have Laro in studio at 2 o'clock until 4 with Dan and uh, Shane Keegan for Football Saturday. So he's in Dublin for the weekend. So. Is he? Yeah. Actually in studio. I thought you meant like virtually, but real. Yeah, nice. no, he's, he's coming in. So um, the BBC's loss is our game. Wow. And uh, we'll also have uh, reporters at the Gaelic of Games matches, uh, Sean O'Sullivan down in Kerry, Limerick and Paddy Andrews at Dublin Kildare. So That's it is, not bad. That is a good lineup now. We're, we're, this, this is why we get out of bed in the morning. Jesus. It is one of those weekends that you're very, very, very excited for. I, I am like Jer I mean you would be I think you're probably, highly excited. excited you're going Jer like in fairness John gets to be in Dublin and I get to be in Killarney so we've probably um, one up to you here a little bit but tell us about your weekend no Jer's going to Paris everyone <laughs> Look, uh, booked flights as soon as the venue was changed I understand I had, I had flights for St. Petersburg obviously right. but it, it is not on there so um, I was going irrespective of who's in the in the uh, final and you now, sorted Jer turns out it's pretty good I'm sorted good man have you been to a Champions League final before? I was at the Liverpool Spurs one. Oh. In the Wanda Metropolitana. Oh, yeah. Um, so is it hard to get tickets? Pretty hard. Pretty hard to get, okay, yeah. Pretty hard to get tickets, yeah. Interesting. Have you, have you been to Stade of France for rugby, Ger? Um I've definitely been for the football. I don't think I've ever been for the rugby. I was there for the, the, the nil-all. Yeah, I was at that game as well, yeah. In 04, 2004. There was, there's been two nil-alls, has there? No, I, I was at the John O'Shea one. Remember the John O'Shea miss? It was Brian Kerr, it was 2004, yeah. yeah. yeah well, we all yeah. sang La Marseillaise, the Irish Did. fans, yeah. And uh, then it was obviously the Hand of Henri game. Yeah, I wasn't at that. No, I wasn't at that. Well, I think I've been more than once. Say that again? I think I've been more than once. Did we play Sweden in Stade de France? Yes. We did, yeah. 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 That's true, actually, by Sweden's goal. Um, what was 2019 like as an atmosphere? Uh, good. It was, it was really good. In fairness, like... Unfortunately, the goal gets scored early and then the game isn't very good. And I think the game was affected by the fact that neither team had played football for about three weeks beforehand. Remember, it was like the longest build-up to a match. And also, um, the Harry Kane injury didn't help. This one's going to be on a level above it, is it? I think, in terms of that buzz around. Like, two different countries coming together for a Champions League final, I think, adds to it. Definitely, yeah. And Paris is like... And Paris. Yeah. Madrid's pretty good. <laughs> Madrid's, Madrid's a nice city. Uh, yeah, now Paris is good. Uh, looking forward to it. How's Killarney going to be? 
Oh, that's obviously going to be the epicenter of the, the world on the Saturday. <laughs> Daryl Shea said people won't even know there's a game on above. <laughs> Games. Kerry Cork in uh, the women's is on at quarter past 12, actually. Very early start for people who want to get in and try and see if this uh, this Kerry wave, uh, which they which seem to be emerging in the league this year, is actually the real thing. And can they actually take a scalp? That's probably uh, the game that most people will be uh, looking forward to as a contest, I'd say, on, on Saturday. Um, like Limerick have, done a, have been on a brilliant journey over the last couple of years like what their ceiling is is going to be very interesting over the next little while because I think there's an added buzz around that team because of what happened with the hurlers and everybody knows this is a city county so therefore they have resources playing resources to try and do something I think uh, becoming a mainstay in Division 2 is probably their ceiling and then uh, could they dream of Division 1 qualification if things go sour for them could they look at a, at a Talton Cup win for them over the next couple of years either way it's, they're not in a bad position but it would just be a point to suggest that the Kerry aren't very very strong favourites No that and the odds reflect that um, I'm going to be watching uh, Dublin 220 Kildare 316 in uh, on the phone probably more than likely it's a hell of a game good game yeah what, what happened in that game well I think the Kildare went toe to toe got beaten died in their shields progress what, what jersey are you wearing on Saturday are you wearing your Kildare jersey in Paris I don't I mean it would look like a Real Madrid fan Las Blancos yeah so no I think uh, I, w- I won't be inviting any trouble from either sets of fans. Mr. Gilroy reveals himself as Liverpool fanatic. I mean, no. Uh, John, what's going on? Uh, a lot of debate about Mo Salah's future over the last few months, and he's confirmed in a press conference ahead of Saturday that he's staying for next season. Whether that means he leaves in the Bosman next year remains to be seen, but there is a possibility that could happen now. Good use of Bosman on the back page of the uh, Irish Independent this morning, which I haven't seen in a headline or anybody talk about in, I would say, about 10 years. A uh, football manager would always go with Bosman rather than free transfer. It's disappeared, though, yeah. from common usage, hasn't it? Yeah. I would say leaving on a free would be the, the new... Out of contract? Out of contract, I guess. Do the kids... Uh, so it's in football manager pardon my ignorance that's the only way that, that like they definitely go for the phrase Bosman a lot in football manager where it's like you could just use the phrase free transfer but like still it's, now well I haven't played I, the last edition I had was like seven years ago okay so. you're, you're yeah. out of the attics we shouldn't you're kind of a triggered area my hand is twitching hey. <laughs> <laughs> so Jose Mourinho uh, all getting fired uh, won another trophy last night were you happy for him John? Yeah. <laughs> that was the least convincing thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Try it again. Are you? Yeah. Are you, okay, still not. <laughs> uh, the bronze medal of European football, uh, the Conference League, but he's won now all of the European trophies. Never lost a final with four different clubs Inter, Porto, Man United, and Roma. A 1 0 win or a fine or Stephen Kenny bringing uh, Festi Abasele and CJ Hamilton into his squad for the Nations League games, Ukraine, Armenia, and Scotland. Michael Abafemi also back in for his uh, first appearance in a squad. Well, last, last cap was 2018, his only cap. Matt Darcy is injured. Uh, three Irish boxers in action at the Men's European Championships in Armenia today. Welterweight Eugene McKeever meets Vakhid Abasov of Serbia in a last 16 bout in the afternoon session. Later in the evening session, light middleweight Luke Maguire also in last 16 action against uh, Ezerkan Madiev of Georgia. And Jack Marley meets uh, Vagnan uh, Nanitz Anian of Greece in the heavyweight division. Igor Svantiek, uh, the women's world number one, plays Alison Risk in the second round of the French Open tennis today. Men's second seed Daniel Medvedev up against Laszlo Gere. Patrick Harrington and Darren Clark in the senior PGA in Michigan. Cormac Sharvin and Jonathan Colwell beginning their opening rounds at the Dutch Open later. 
Uh, we've got seven race jumps card at Limerick first off there at 4.50. And an interesting story on the front page of the Irish Times today. Coolmore, the leading Irish and world stud farm, and Aidan O'Brien are suing an animal feed supplier, Glanbia Foods Ireland, in the High Court over contaminated feed, which ruled its horses out of the Prix de de Triomphe meeting back in 2020. So 11 horses from Bally Doyle were pulled from the meeting. And if you think what some of the horses winning would have done to stud value, maybe one can understand a possible action here, whether it's successful or not. A banned substance, Zilpaterol, was found in a French lab in advance of the meeting and linked to a batch of the Gain Equine feed product owned and sold at the time by Columbia. Right, it's two massive Irish global brands yeah. up against each other. Is there is there any time frame for this? Do we expect uh, it to be quick resolution? I or? would say what we're talking about maybe in the next few months. Okay, right. Um, but uh, Kilmore, serious operation. And, uh, you know, if you win the pre de l'Arctor Trion, how much is that worth in stud value, you know, for forever? Uh, so that, you know, it is a serious business here and obviously they're, they're looking to address what they feel is a, a, a problematic situation. Uh, John in the comments says, Dublin will massacre Kildare, unfortunately. There is a life possibility, isn't there? I don't know what you think, John, about what, what could happen this Saturday, but that, there's always a possibility, especially after what we saw the last few rounds with Dublin. I think Dublin will win the game. I think there is a bit of a backlash at, uh, from um, 2021, but I'm pretty disgusted that the game is on at the same time as the Champions Cup final. As in, you think it was just bad decision making? I just don't understand the calendar. And I've said it, and people have put on my stance at this stage. I don't want to bore people about it, but uh, you've got a Leinster final, one of the one of the big days in the GA calendar, at the same time as a, a as a, as a final involving Leinster in, in rugby. At the same time, it just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I think the crowd will be affected at Croke Park because of it. Would Would you think it would be more acceptable if they put the Munster final at five o'clock and the Leinster final at three o'clock? I just don't think I just don't think this is the right time of year for provincial finals. Okay, so allow, allowing that, like the, the reason is obviously that RTE have uh, rights for the Champions League final, so the, and they have to show the provincial yeah, finals. But it's as not, well, or, I don't think it's RTE's fault. I, I just think you're having provincial finals uh, at the end of May. I just think it's the wrong time of year for it. I think when the GA season does, it shouldn't have. Uh, it should be just completely clear. The inter-county season is the big show, and there should be a proper sense of the fact that we have a clear freeway here for a Leinster final and a Munster final, as you would have had for many, many years, and that we can all give a proper coverage. And we have to give coverage to the Champions Cup final. We have to give coverage to the Champions League final. And this is just now something that we, we should be giving all of our coverage to, but it's only like a third of the coverage, what, or maybe a 20% of the coverage. What about when, if the GA Championship is, is in the middle of the summer? And it clashes with Ireland in a big tournament match, for example. Yeah, but that's what uh, Ireland every four years, mm. you know. But like what about so say um, j- just uh, like devil's advocate? Like is there like well, every second year there's a major tournament? But more more years more years than not, the GA has a clear lane, and at the moment it's it's decided not to have a clear lane. Yeah. Whereas in August and September, it could have had a clear lane, and it and there'd be nothing going on, and then now soccer and rugby will have a clear lane. So I just don't understand it. And I understand all the uh, demands of club players. I understand all that. I understand the fact that it's the lifeblood of the association. But, you know, people get interested in Gaelic games through the inter-county game. That's what the masses are interested in. And the more people that are interested in it and go to games, and then they might actually join a GA club. Uh, and, you know, if you want to have a shortened inter-county season, get rid of all these um, meaningless preliminary competitions and have one big 
uh, you know, bonanza between, say, May and August. I mean, look, they, it was on the table and they turned it down. Yeah. I, I think partly they don't care about these games being up against it because they don't really rate the, I mean, at their at in their heart of hearts they understand the provincials are nonsense. They know it, and that they were they're somehow stuck to it now as a, a they know weird, they can't win anachronistic thing. And it's like, look, the real the real action starts uh, in next week when the first round of good qualifiers happens, and then from that point forward. There's almost going to be no bad games. There's a few bad games because there's still a few dud teams who've made it through to the Sam Maguire, but they'll be knocked out hopefully next weekend and then we'll get down to the serious business and away we go. What's interesting, John, is that like I find, I'm not sure what your um, view is on this, but I found that there was like more meaty talking points or more buzz around the National Football League than the Football Championship so far, even though the National Football League absolutely does not have a clear lane. It's got six nations to compete against, which is one of the, the most hyped sports events of the year. And it still manages to survive and get plenty of oxygen into those talking points. The dubs getting relegated this year was a massive talking point. It That goes up against the Six Nations. That goes up against a brilliant title race. It goes up every single week, uh, midweek, against Premier League football or Champions League football. Like, the National League has never had a clear lane over the last 10 years, and it's only grown and grown and grown and grown. That I actually think it's a bit of a defeatist attitude of the GEA are saying... Well, no, no, we no, no, you know what that does? It, 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 it illustrates, and I still think, and we had this debate before on the show, that I think the National League is a, a competition lacking in meaning, but it's obvious from what you're saying that it's the best format. I do think, though, as well, on the point you're making, like the National League is coming off a very low base where League is League, Championship is Championship was the kind of de facto thing. And so, therefore, any success that that league has is seen as progress. I guarantee you, though, you, um, other than maybe, say, the, the morning after a Sunday game uh, in the Six Nations, the, the Monday mornings will be dominated by National League coverage. I don't think the prem- like the, the, if you look at the main story in the back page of, of any of the Irish newspapers, it does feel as if the, the National League over the last couple of years has been the story on Monday mornings throughout February and March. Maybe I'm completely misremembering a couple of months ago, but it, it definitely feels that way, and it's definitely being conspicuous by its presence and the amount of coverage because of the fact that you've just got such a breadth of games and so many interesting storylines as a result of the number of games that are happening between teams of, a, of an equal standard. I mean, well, it, well, well, I would say that the hurling round robin is exciting. Yeah. Munster and Anster is exciting, but it is, to, to me, still competing to a degree for oxygen. It is exciting. I'm going to see Clare and Limerick on, on Sunday week. I'm like 24 years since Clare won a Munster hurling title. That is a big deal. Um, even to see them win that would be would be good, mm. uh, but I just I I, uh, I think if they fixed the structures, it wouldn't really matter what time of the year everything was on because we would we would chisel out the time and I, I, like see, I think I think there's there's truth in that. And if we fix the structures, then in fairness, there wouldn't be finals this weekend, or there wouldn't be trophies being given out this weekend of any major significance. Because, but anyway, uh, and, and I just do think as well, like you know, you want to play summer hurling and, and football in the summer. You want to have the best conditions possible. I do agree. But, with you, that. but you also don't want a you also don't want a situation where in July a lot of people are on holidays. Yeah, and won't be won't be able to go to the All Ireland because they're away with their kids. Yeah. All right. Eight right. fifty three this morning. John, good stuff. Time is a flat circle. It turns out. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm delighted to say Dermot Corrigan of the Athletic is with us. Dermot, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, pretty good, Jerk. How's it going? Yeah, good. We're we're getting excited about the uh, Champions League final this weekend. Um, we just wanted to kind of check the temperature around Real Madrid at the moment and kind of see what their level of confidence was heading into this. The league was a cakewalk for them. The Champions League has been unending, unbelievable drama, game on game, so it has been the opposite of a cakewalk. And I don't know, how, how do they feel, how well prepared they are coming in for the Challenge of Liverpool this weekend? 
they feel pretty good. Um, they had the open day at the training ground was on on Tuesday, so we were out there talking to some of the players and, and listening to Ancelotti talk, and it was very relaxed. Um, Ancelotti said a couple of times that at the start of the season they didn't really expect to be challenging for the Champions League. Um, you know, some players had left, a lot of their key players are getting on at, into the thirties at this stage, so they didn't see themselves as up at the top. But the way things have gone with all those comebacks, the emotion that there's been at the Bernabeu, the, the positivity that that has generated. They, they do see themselves as 50-50, a lot of people were saying, that the different players. And amongst the fans, there's just a feeling that Madrid tend to win these finals. So when they get to the to the big occasions that Madrid's big players, they're able to handle the pressure, they're able to they grow in these type of occasions. So there's there's quite a lot of confidence around that Madrid will be able to beat Liverpool, even though they realise Liverpool maybe on paper have a, a stronger squad. Yeah, I do wonder though. If, um, the, the, talk to me a little bit about the form that Real Madrid are in. Are they actually are their best players in good form over the last couple of weeks? Um, yeah, they've had because of the way they, they wrapped up La Liga so so quickly. They had almost a month to just to kind of. Uh, prepare so they and Shai did it quite cleverly he rested half the team for some games and then the other half for other league games and when they were playing especially the, the forwards like Benzema and Vinicius in, they were playing against Levante and they were 4-0 up at half time in that game they just put on a bit of a show <clears throat> at the Bernabeu they looked really fit they looked really confident especially the confidence there's kind of a, a buzz around the squad a feeling after those those big games that they're they're kind of capable of doing uh, great things and scoring some some really nice goals. Again, that might run into more of a reality against a team like Liverpool. But for the moment, they do feel that uh, just things have come together for them just at the right moment. Uh, uh, you know, there's a, a couple of narratives around this uh, this team in particular, and the the form of Benzema, uh, the agelessness of the the uh, midfield trio. Now. The midfield trio that we kind of have come to associate with this Real Madrid team, they actually weren't on the field when the most dramatic stuff happened. Uh, so if you're the manager, what do you do? Do you start with the... Do you dance with the ones who brung you all the way to this point in the Owlads? Or do you stick the kids in and go, here, listen, we're going to run the legs off this Liverpool team and see what happens? Yeah, actually, I've been very keen to to point out that it's not about 11 players anymore, that with the five subs and with the, the deep squads that teams have that um, he's going to use it. And I'd imagine he'll start with the, the three guys. He'll look to, to maybe keep it controlled, not to make it as crazy as it has been in the other games. But then you'll see Camavinga come off the bench. Um, Valverde will probably start in the kind of as a, a wide forward, but he'll really be just into the midfield as well. He's another kind of box-to-box type midfielder. So they'll have kind of him to, to protect him. And then as the game goes on, throw on more attacking players, throw on Camavinga, who's just been, you know, he's only 19, but he's been amazing, looks kind of born to, to play on the big stage. So, yeah, I'd say Modric, Cruz and Casemiro start the game, but, you know, maybe only one or two of them will get to 90 minutes. Uh, I'm really interested in the uh, Ancelotti relationship with this group of players and how he's kind of consciously moulded them into a, a group of players who've, who've kind of got to this final through feeling their way out of sticky situations as they've had in three rounds consecutively and I guess like one of those great images was himself asking Marcelo and Crows I think it was before extra time in the semi-final what should I do what substitutions should I bring on this sort of empowerment of the players it, it feels a little bit similar to how Zidane managed to mastermind success with this Real Madrid squad the, the empowerment of the players managing to kind of depoliticize the, the, the dressing room by handing the, the power to the, the most important players in there yeah, and go back to Del Bosque as well when he was the Madrid coach and then the Spain coach. It's kind of a, it, it tends to work at Madrid that if you try and micromanage in a, in a kind of Guardiola or a Tuchel type of way that it, it doesn't work out so well for you. And Chiladi does, 
even at the press conference on Tuesday, he was saying, you know, these players have played in, this is going to be five Champions League finals for them in eight years for a lot of them. I've only had two. He was kind of, everything was done with a, a kind of twinkle in his eye and to, to put the, to, to give some, so much respect to these people like Modric and Benzema and Cruz. And Johnny, in fairness to him, he's also not afraid to, to take on the, the big players like Hazard and Bale have been around. You know, they've been cut out of the, the scene completely if they're not up to it. He took Cruz off in the, Again, City Cruz wasn't too happy at that moment to, to be taken off. So he is able to to kind of show the players that he's with them or, or to, to listen to what they have to say. But then in the end, if there's a decision that has to be made, he has the the experience and the personality to do it without without alienating them, which is a is a great skill, I think, in a, in a manager and especially needed at Madrid. And probably the most astonishing development this week is Ancelotti admitting that he does get nervous. Like, I think that we've seen this sort of one-dimensional face to Ancelotti, the, the eyebrow raised, and we think, you know, he's as cool as ice, but he says, for me, the toughest spell is three or four hours before kickoff. It's a physical malaise. I've struggled a bit more with it this season, increased sweating, and an accelerated heart rate. Negative <laughs> thoughts creep in. I did not know Carlo Ancelotti has the ability to perspire. It was it was pretty funny, and I was there in the room when, when he said it, and the kind of ripple of of smiles went around, and everybody there was kind of that twinkle in his eye as well. He's just so in control of of what's going on. He he loves these these big occasions. He's really happy at Madrid, and um, you know to come from the situation he was in at Everton last season, and then like twelve months later to be heading into a Champions League final with Madrid. He, he's loving it, and yeah, he's he's so confident in his own skin that he's willing to to admit to that to, to share that and that that kind of confidence and, and relaxation and tranquility transmits itself to the, transmits itself to the players as well you know they they are unlikely to, to get too nervous ahead of the game i think you know everybody will have the the butterflies in the in the tummy and the tension before kickoff but you know madrid are so experienced in these occasions everybody around the club is used to it the in the dressing room in the boardroom Ancelotti himself um again Liverpool you know man for man have the more talented players if you know more expensive squad if you were to go out and buy them or or that but but that's why Madrid feel that they have a really good chance in the game because of that you know how Ancelotti personifies that experience they have and the the, the relaxation that they have is is it only a fans thing the whole revenge narrative like Mo Salah very clearly set the table immediately after they got through saying they wanted Madrid in the final fair play to him uh, how does that go down in Madrid is it a, a talking point not so much it, it's it's very much more a thing that's coming out of Liverpool and again that Madrid Madrid kind of you know would see it maybe as as like a little bit beneath them maybe to, to try to get into that type of a debate like Ramos is gone which makes a huge difference um, because if Ramos was still there it would definitely be be on the table more people have been talked about it we, we asked Casemiro about it when we had a chance to, to chat to some of the international journalists and he, he I think his response was something like you know the loser always remembers things like that the winner just celebrates the trophy or some kind of throwaway line like that that just kind of pointed to how you know he wasn't going to lose too much sleep about it Madrid might think that if if Liverpool are wasting energy on, on that type of uh, uh, conversations that it, it's in their favour but again if, if it gets Liverpool up for it and they're extra motivated then maybe it works well for them as well do you get the sense Ancelotti still loses some sleep over 2005? Like I know 07 probably is the moment that he exercises all those those demons if he needed to. But do you still think when he sees Liverpool coming down the tracks, 05 still just comes up a little bit? He he definitely has mentioned it a good bit. Um, not so much in the losing sleep, but just in the the fact that he's been on the other side of these comebacks. When he mentioned it when Madrid had you know come back against Chelsea or against Paris Saint Germain or against City, that he knows that in in the Champions League anything can happen. More than that, it's a, a trauma for him. Um, just that he he's aware of how think how quickly things can can turn around, and he gets that to the players. 
obviously it's, it's it wasn't a good night for him. It's one of the the worst nights of his career. But he's able to um, to to use it or to know that it's there. But I, I don't think it lets it get to him, or I don't think it makes him extra extra motivated for the game in the way that Salah you know uses motivation like that. And Shadi, he's um, he's just so used to these occasions. He, he mentioned the other day as well as that at Everton coach he'd won at Anfield. He stuck stuck that into the the conversation at the press conference. Nobody asked him about it. So he's he knows about these little rivalries. He's a real football guy as well he comes across maybe as you know a, a an international elite type of a fellow with you know how, how relaxed he is in, in everybody's company but he still likes that that kind of the guts of football the training ground the, the little rivalries and yeah he'll, he'll remember it for sure how do you think the two teams match up tactically what, what is it that Real Madrid are going to be able to do that's going to hurt Liverpool yeah, I, I think the Vinicius against Trent Alexander-Arnold is maybe one of the tactical balls to, to look out for. Last year, in the uh, Liverpool came to Madrid in, in the Champions League and Trent Alexander-Arnold didn't have a great day. Vinicius and Vinicius wasn't in great form at that stage. He hadn't kind of exploded as he had this season, but he scored a brilliant goal, got in behind him a good few times. Um, it might come out to how whether Liverpool are able to just impose themselves completely on Modric and Cruz in the midfield if if they're pressed right up onto them and don't give them any time to settle at all it's hard to see Madrid getting you know keeping possession and getting a foothold in the game but if the, the kind of wise heads in Madrid's midfield are able to take some of the pace out of the game get to the hour mark with even with the team's level and then able to, to throw on the subs that they've been doing and have that kind of the narrative that's built up in their heads as well that you know comes out to the, the closing stages that Madrid have that extra uh, historical knack of, of winning big games and winning finals, then Madrid will be happy with that. If Liverpool can score early and kind of put Madrid into disarray and force Madrid to try to attack them, then Madrid might be in trouble. I do wonder about the whole... The, so the, the various English papers are reporting that there's a good chance that the injured players will play or certainly are, are going to get a bit of training in and might be available for selection. So Fabinho and Thiago, I'm not quite sure about playing players in the Champions League final who are a little bit maybe the five subs removes the risk from that and, and maybe you start them and if they're injured it doesn't really matter because you, that's two of your subs gone and you still have your normal three subs still to go like from from the Madrid point of view Fabinho and Thiago will be seen as a good few steps above the, the other options that Liverpool can have will, will have to come in and replace them so they you know of the players who they would you know be happier if Liverpool were missing. They'd be two of the, the most important. I think maybe even, I'm not sure, more than Salah or Van Dijk, but they'd be up there w- with them. Fabinho was, was excellent against Villarreal in the, the semi-finals, um, especially the way he, he harried and pushed Villarreal's midfield out of it completely in, in the first leg. Thiago, as a Spain international, everybody really respects him here. Madrid tried to sign him a couple of times in, in the past and didn't get him. So from Madrid's point of view, they'd hope that either they're not fit enough to play or that if they are fit enough to play that they can they can take advantage of it if they're, if they're not at 100%. Okay. One, one last kind of more political question. So Mbappe rejecting Real Madrid, is there any possibility this has a knock-on impact on the players in a, either a negative or positive way that like something fundamental has changed, the world is spinning on its axis where somebody can reject Real Madrid? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I, the, the rejection is definitely felt more at the boardroom level at Florentino Perez for him it's a humiliation it's it's really difficult to take and we're going to have to see how how they react whether they spend loads of money on on another forward this year or, or how that works on a political level in the dressing room the players are, are kind of used to this type of stuff going on all the time they've had you know circuses around Ronaldo and Sergio Ramos and dealt with it they, you know guys like Benzema and, and 
Modric are used to just playing games. You could even argue that for somebody like Vinicius, uh, Mbappe not coming to Madrid is is useful for him. You know, his place might have been in danger in the team where he'd have to, to move out of position. So, you know, the the, the players who, who might have felt they were going to be replaced will have got a boost um, maybe from Mbappe not coming, even though, you know, nobody's going to say they don't want to have Mbappe. So I, I don't think it'll affect the, the team that much, but institutionally and, you know, even with Paris is going to meet El Khalifi and Seferin and all the, the trouble over the Super League and, and all that kind of political extra tension that, that's there. And Mbappe definitely built that up. But when the when it comes to Benzema, Modric, Vinicius, it, it's not going to affect them too badly. What's your sense on the next big fish that Perez wants to land then? Because, like as you say, there, there's loads of young players in that squad who won't be put up by Mbappe's arrival. The young talent that Madrid have, I'm sure, excites their fans so much. And without a big fish, they would probably be in a really, really good position for the next couple of seasons anyway. But this is Florentino Perez. We know to expect the unexpected from him like I even like look up Mo Salah on the back of the papers this, today being like you know talking about revenge for, for Real Madrid and also saying I want to play for Liverpool next season like I wouldn't be overly surprised if this time next year Real Madrid are dipping their toe in the water for, for Mo Salah or something on that level of audacity yeah this time next week um, wouldn't, wouldn't be a huge surprise either like Salah as soon as Mbappe turned him down like one of the things that ran through everybody's head here was who, who will they go for now because you know if Paris has been embarrassed in that way or he needs to to make a power stroke this summer and the money is there, then who, who will they go for? Salah does make sense to an extent in that he'd play on the other side to, to Vinicius and Salah himself has been on the front cover of sports papers here in, in Madrid, You know whether that was um, due to his putting pressure on Liverpool about his contract or not, I'm not sure, but he's he's kind of left, always left it open that he'd play for Madrid. Maybe a little bit less because of, of what happened with Ramos, but you know he could forget that pretty quickly if if the move came up. It's hard to see who else they, they'd go for. You know, there's not there's not an obvious kind of next signing because Haaland is is already lined up for, for Man City. They kind of missed out on on that one. Um, so yeah, maybe Sadio Mane has been. You know, Zidane was was a. Well, supposed to be a big fan of Sadio Mane when he was here. Sterling, maybe. Um, it's hard to know who, who they go for, but they'll definitely um, be looking to make a to just kind of make a statement in the summer and show that um, we are Real Madrid and we can go and get, get players if we really want to. Eden Hazard says he wants to stick around and try and <laughs> prove everybody wrong and have a career at Real Madrid. Is that wishful thinking? Is that something that might actually happen, or are we more more likely to see a cup price move for Eden Hazard somewhere in the summer? Hazard could end up a bit like Bale in that his contract just runs down because the coach, Ancelotti, has like gave Hazard a, a couple of chances to, to play. He had him in the team for the, the very first La Liga game of the season. But the way that they that they want to play, the intensity that they want to put into the game, he just wasn't able to, to provide that. He you know he's, he's back, had another operation recently on his ankle. He says he's better now. But the thing, Madrid will be happy to, to move him on if they could get somebody to take on his wages. But whether anybody is going to take on his wages, given his injury record um, and his age profile and all that, he still has a couple of years left in Madrid. It's sad to see. It's kind of a pity, especially with Bale, to see how the last couple of years he's just kind of been almost insignificant. He's there training every week, but on the bench and watching on. Um, Hazard could be could end up in a, in a similar situation. Do you have any idea how much his wages are? Like, what, what are we talking about here that somebody would or would not take him on? It's up, it's up around like 20 million euros a year. Um, trying to convert that into kind of pounds and per week, I'm not sure. But he, he's one of the best. Hazard is, when Bale leaves, he'll be the best paid player at, at Madrid. Um, 
and with Mbappe not there anymore. So he'd be, he'd be right at the top of the, the Premier League. You know, if it's somebody like Newcastle can maybe offer, you know, X amount and not worry about it too much. Um, but for for anybody else, for your even for Arsenal or Spurs, like when Bale went to Spurs, even that was on loan, Madrid were still paying more than half of his wages and he was one of the best players paid players at Spurs. So, you know, it's either Hazard agrees to take a pay cut, somebody like Newcastle will come in or or he stays at, at Madrid. And is sorry, is he fit enough even to like have a place on the bench at the moment or Yeah, he came on. He had because he's had that ankle problem and in fairness it has been a a, a really difficult ankle problem. He broke his ankle, he had a plate in it. Um a couple of months ago he, he just stopped completely and they took the plate out. Um uh, because it was causing him pain every time he ran. He says that he's he's back fit, but he hasn't completed ninety minutes. I have to check it, but you know, it's it's months and months since he completed ninety minutes and he's never really been since he came to Madrid just three years ago now, he's never looked that player who was at Chelsea who, you know, could go and win big games on his own. You have a great record against Liverpool, I think. Um, like that that player is a long way into the past now. Even at the Euros last summer, he made a big effort to get fit for Belgium and played okay in some of those games, but he, he couldn't last the 90 minutes. So it's it's a long time. Not saying it's impossible. Maybe the, getting the plate out of his ankle means that, you know, can have a fresh start and get a good preseason and and come again, but it's it's a long time ago now since he's been the the hazard that we remember. All right, give us your prediction. Uh, I'm going to go Madrid in, in extra time. I think um, again, maybe that's swayed by 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 being here, by by um, being at Madrid and speaking to the people around the club. Uh, you know, even for the Atletico, speaking to some of the legends from the their past finals, people like Miadovic and Solari and Ivan Campo and guys who've won Champions Leagues for Madrid, they're all really confident that when it comes to the final that Madrid just have a knack of, of winning it or of finding a way to do it with confidence in these guys like Modric and Benzema that they have you know, one last kind of um, Champions League in them. So maybe more the heart that, than the head, but um, go for Madrid an extra time. All right, Terma, good stuff. Thanks a million for that. Enjoy the game. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. What do you think is going to happen? I think Liverpool will win. Uh, slight fa- well, sorry, are they slight favourites? Massive uh, favourites, yeah. Massive favourites, yeah. Um, like you would have thought that maybe with the injury problems, the, the gap would have closed a little bit. And if you go back to the week of that Manchester City versus Real Madrid first leg, if you ask Liverpool fans if they want to play, they'd be like, oh, Real Madrid every day of the week. Now, I know the manner of the win against Manchester City naturally changes that. They're not now prefer City. Wouldn't that be like amazing... Poke in the eye. I did. I did think after the, the Chelsea and PSG games that it was just even something about Real Madrid at that point before the Manchester City games that provided the prospect of a massive banana skin for Liverpool. And there's kind of like a known quantity about Manchester City, and there might have been more comfort in it. I think even before what they did to City, there's there, there, there would have been a rightful nervousness around the prospect of Real Madrid for Liverpool. Um, and then it just feels that over the last little while. It just kind of feels like this is a much closer event than we even thought after their comeback against Manchester City. The, the Salah comments, um, the injuries for, for Liverpool. And yeah, I ju- just think that it's it's very, very hard to call it. And I, I, I'm i surprised to see that there's such a big gap in, in them price-wise. But I, I, do, I do think Liverpool will win. And then I have no clue what happens after that. If it goes to penalties, Liverpool win. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I, like, I mean, the, or or is it like well, because they've done all that work? Maybe maybe they do win, and they've maybe they've, they've got it. They've got it cracked. Like they should have lost the last penalty shootout. They didn't. They should have. Thirteen minutes past nine. Last opportunity to enter our competition today. Calling all cycling enthusiasts. Skoda are the official main partner of the Tour de France, and to celebrate on OTB Sports, we have a once in a lifetime giveaway. This prize is a VIP trip to stage 13 of the Tour de France from the 14th to the 16th of July. It includes flights and accommodation for one winner plus one. 
All you need to do for a chance to win is to be available to travel from the 14th to the 16th of July and identify our mystery voice. Who is this Roscommon-born actor who played journalist David Walsh in the 2015 film The Programme? I would take advice from him like I would take advice from a drunk clown. You know, he was he was a law unto himself. Tweet your answer to at off the ball or at off the ball AM on Twitter. Each daily winner will win a hundred euro, one for all voucher and a Skoda cycling jersey and will go into the draw for the grand prize. Best of luck, Skoda drivers. For another chance to win, check out skodaservice.ie. Here's what's on OTV Sports Radio today. Uh, 1 o'clock OTB Gold Joe meets Sherlock Nan Leaders Questions with Stuart Lancaster from 3 our retro panel is The Sporting Mindset and 6 o'clock OTB Gold is Wexford's 56 Legends Ned Wheeler and Art Foley the show is live tonight from 7 you can follow off the ball across all our social platforms about 35% of you who watch OTB AM live on YouTube have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel so what are you waiting for hit the button join the club tap subscribe for plenty more sports news analysis reaction and debate it's deal or no deal the first of the new season season not even over and we're starting this next OTB AM it's 18 18 minutes past 9 Philly good morning to you good morning lads we're just reminiscing there it's bad when uh, you kind of like stumble into a conversation and the first thing you hear is no I was married (laughs) (laughs) no I wasn't (laughs) That was the. Are we? Should we? Should we rekindle this conversation? Is it, is it worth it? It was something to do with. I did a thing for Pat Kenny. So there was an ad there. Just to put a bit of context on it, there was an ad for the new dating app site, Go Dating, and I was like, "Oh, you did a dating thing for Pat Kenny." I, I remember it because um, they sent you and Celine to some meat market. I, I know exactly where it was. It's got no name. That's the name. Uh, the bar uh, with no name. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it wasn't the meat market, but um, that was the the point of it was to go into the live environment and record the sights and sounds of a night out in Dublin when people are trying to get their hole. That was yeah. essentially it, wasn't it? Now, in fairness, <laughs> I like I wasn't. I I was single at the time, but I wasn't on the the poll. Like I was there for research purposes. But I, no, it was more a case of like journalist. Get chatting to journalists. Yeah, get chatting to lads and women as well about you were the reporter in the yeah, like uh, what what are you looking for in the night you know has anyone come come up and spoken to you has um you know say to some lads like is there any women there that you you, you fancy would you go up to them what are you going to say that kind of thing and that was really it like, did you have a mic with a mic flag on it yeah because it was obvious yeah, what i was wasn't undercover yeah it should have i mean just, we uh, speak into my button here please we should have gone undercover and what was the content like um, sensational <laughs> sensational it? oh you've got to listen back to it it oh. was like one of the all time great radio moments I absolutely need to hear this I, I, don't, I don't remember being oh it was amazing course. it was and like were people like that's exactly what I'm here for like I mean this is obviously pre-Tinder is it this is like I mean people actually sorry, like, human uh, beings went up to one another and approach is yeah. this actually a thing that used to how happen? long ago is this this is probably around 2012 I'm going to say is it that old yeah, yeah. It's 10 years yeah that's the real anniversary. Screw Saipan. Phil in No Name Bar for Pat Kenny is the real anniversary. We need to be marking this year. Well, we'll dig out the, we'll dig out the, the piece. <laughs> that'll, be an e- that'll be easier audio to find. Yeah, yeah, to totally. To. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's 9.20 this morning. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, we should have also talked about something else that happened in the ad break. During the break there, you heard Brian O'Driscoll having to call his mum to bail him out after a cycling mishap up Hoth. He's, he's part of Team OTB. We're taking on Triathlon this June. The time is telescoping rapidly. It's all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. Check out whoop.com for more. The triathlon is on Sunday week. So uh, still plenty of time for us to um, 
get in tip top shape uh, we'll tell you more about that next week we've, um, we've had a lesson triathlon for dummies that we're going to bring you and um, well let's just say it was a chastening experience for many of us uh, it's time though for Deal or No Deal I signed for them after the Euros and after my first day's training I was driving home I was actually thinking regretting it what have I done I was like I walked into a circus it's amazing isn't it all right, let's get into it. Is Mo Salah telling us he's not going or is he telling us that he's actually one of the smartest athletes in the world? He's looked at what's happened. He's decided, I want 100 million. I'm not going to get it from Liverpool. I'm going to get it from somebody else. Mo Salah, commercial genius. Phil, I put it to you. Uh, well, he, he said he's staying for next season and I kind of I have felt over the last few months that that's what was going to happen where he will leave on a free transfer next summer and... Liverpool will have got a hell of a lot out of him. Uh, success, you know, in terms of silverware, all the goals that he scored, and then they will look at somebody to replace him with a better age profile. And it kind of looks like they're going in the same route then with Mane. Obviously, Mane wasn't. Uh, he he didn't answer the question yesterday. Salah kind of was. Um, Salah has been quite honest in uh, the last few weeks obviously the, the Real Madrid comments came up again when Jordan Henderson was beside him yesterday in the presser about when he was asked after they beat VRL who do you want to play and he said Real Madrid where I think the BT team that night were quite surprised that he would actually say that and well because it was unpatriotic why didn't you name the English team what well, how can you not name the English team it's like well because you know I'm not English is the Salah thing not just a reaction to the over sanitization of interviews anyway and players being unbelievably boring yeah, that's and what happens it, caught, it catches you off guard one thing that's a, a 2 out of 10 on the Richter scale of interest is all of a sudden a massive earthquake of, yeah. of a storyline I suspect the only part about that that might not be true is that perhaps Real Madrid have brought it up and they are genuinely using it as some kind of weird fuel if, if the lockdown taught us one thing it's that professional athletes have this weird hypersensitive streak in them that turns the smallest thing into a massive thing for no reason because it gives them a tiny edge like their lives are pretty boring their lives are like repetitive set of fitness athletics tactics technical stuff and then all of a sudden a tiny little bit of something gets introduced into it and it's like Michael Jordan Last Dance is your prime example just anything you're looking for just you know somebody didn't hold the door for you it's like, and I took that personally well you could say that there's a hypersensitivity around Mo Salah bringing up Real Madrid in the first place given yeah. the man who injured him doesn't even play for the club anymore yeah but also given what happened and how that final unfolded after Salah went off and, and Carrius so Liverpool will be um, looking forward to it as well but um, yeah it's, it's a very different situation now because I remember watching that game in 2018 and when Salah went off there was a feeling that Liverpool are screwed here Whereas Salah hasn't been playing the last few games. I know he came on against Wolves, but he came off in the, the FA Cup final and there wasn't that sense of, well, Liverpool are screwed here yeah. because now they have the cover. And I think I, I've said it, and I, I'm sure I will say it for the next few years, that in terms of contracts, the likes of Salah, Mane, whoever it is, the most important contract at Liverpool is Jurgen Klopp. He has signed on the dotted line, so... I would trust Jurgen Klopp to get it right well, regardless of what happens. Here's the thing. They're, they're going to have these two players now for one more year and the two players should absolutely be trying their eye strings out to be as good as they possibly can for that year because it adds extra millions. Like literally every extra goal and good performance they put in adds tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to what they can demand for free to the next club who are like, oh, we're going to get you 
something approximating your peak for two or three seasons. Like, Mo Salah looks like he can do this, given that his game isn't based on extreme pace. Like, he could easily go on to have a Ronaldo-esque career into his mid to late 30s. That's not, yeah, not beyond I don't know. possibility. I, well, I think... Mo Sal- I don't know if Mo Salah is going to emulate what he's done at Liverpool elsewhere. I think the way Liverpool play is perfect for Mo Salah. So I think Mo Salah needs Liverpool. And obviously, in the last since he's joined Liverpool, have needed Mo Salah. I think Mane has a bit more versatility. It'll be interesting to see what happens on Saturday. See, he, he you know, he said yesterday, you know, we'll talk about my future after the Champions League final. But if Liverpool lose on Saturday, is he even going to do any press? If they win, he's going to be. Well, what, what are we assuming that he's going to run down his contract and do? Well, you'd imagine that's what he's going to do because to Liverpool he, then try and sell him to cash in. But is he going to move before a World Cup? He's got a World Cup at Senegal in November. Does he want to move and try and feel his way into a new club just before a World Cup? He needs to be at his best going into that World Cup. Yeah, again, I think from Liverpool's perspective, you're thinking we've got to try and win the league next year yeah. to halt City's gallop. Having these two for that season really benefits us, and we'll sign players who we think will be their replacements. Yeah. Absolutely. Sir Firmino's out of contract as well next summer. So that's your famed front three all out of contract. But now you've got Luis Diaz. And as good as Diaz has been, like he's been like a wild card addition to this Liverpool attack. He wasn't meant to be signed in January. They had to move quickly on him because of Tottenham's interest. So can you imagine what he's going to be like when he gets pre-season with Klopp in terms of an understanding of exactly what they want him to do? It's almost like they've said, go out and do what you're good at doing, and he's been sensational. But imagine what happens when he builds relationships with his teammates in terms of communication. We know that you know, he hasn't got a grasp of the language yet. Um, like football, obviously, you know, footballers are clever enough to know on the pitch what works and what doesn't. The but language of love. I think when he starts scoring goals, I think he, like, he just goes to an even different level. Yeah, OK. So it's not, it's not the crisis that it would have been. And, Absolutely not. And no. so, again, just to... to clarify Salah said he's going to stay for the season run his contract down and we'll see what happens after that speculation will be wild for the next 12 months about where he ends up Yeah, the same thing's going to happen with Sadio Mane in your view or do Liverpool try and cash in I think if they do try and cash in how much are you going to get for, for Mane 55 65 I mean do they do they have I, I would have, you'd be very surprised if if Mane has made it clear that he wants to leave then Liverpool are going to have somebody else lined up but I just think it would be I don't know like I can't see Manny wanting to leave when S- say, this say World Cup like, is coming well, you can't stay sorry you've, you've made it clear that'll be two going for free next year we've got some we need to keep some money going in mm. uh, what, what would be an acceptable fee in your mind for Liverpool to receive for him so that you don't have him next season I think yeah anything above above 40 funnily enough I think if I was a club looking to buy Salah or Manny I would go for Manny He's younger. He's he's a little bit younger, but he's also, as I said, he's more versatile. That he started out his Liverpool career on the right, then moved to the left. Now this season, you've seen how good he is through the centre. Okay. And so I just think he would he would give you more um, versatility if you were a buying club. Okay. Uh, right. Kylian Mbappe takeaways. Um. <laughs> he's going to be a very rich footballer. What happens if he turns out to be a great manager as well? Very unlikely, right? Yeah. Very unlikely. But what, what if what if they get a manager who understands this is the crack with him? 
Yeah, look, he's, what, he's 23. He's signed another three years. He has four league titles with PSG. He's got the one with Monaco as well. So he's going to win another three. So is he basically signing this contract to say, I have three years to win the Champions League? And if I don't win it with PSG in those three years, then I'm out of here. I think that was a big case to be made by Al-Khalafi when he was making a case to Mbappe's mom. It was like, he's still young. And that, I think that was a key component in all of this. He still got a, a number of opportunities to do it in Paris. If, if you're a, a prospective manager for PSG, or maybe just a pre- prospective manager in general, is it's not a great time to just take over PSG because you've got a guy who you can blame everything on. You can say, well, he was calling the shots. If, it, like, I'm not saying they're going to do this, but if you're a Thierry Henry looking to you know reinvigorate yeah. a, a career, Good you shout. could absolutely hop on the bandwagon at PSG and uh, Jesus, be, get on the phone. That's be the, like, I'm the Mbappe whisperer. I haven't seen this anywhere. Is it, is it yours? It is, right? I just came up with it there. All right, wow, okay. If I type in uh, Thierry Henry PSG into Twitter. It's so ludicrous, it might just work. Will, uh, has anybody else suggested it? I bet there's be... Uh, no, it's just Thierry Henry headline saying, Kylian Mbappe saying at PSG is massive. He has been speaking about the new contract. When you play for a big club, you don't walk away from a big club, he says. So I don't know, just some, I'm not saying it would be a bandwagon for Henry to hop on, but, well, yeah, I mean... No, nobody's still bitter about that at Arsenal I mean Monaco obviously not a big club Juventus obviously not a big club Arsenal obviously not a big club in fairness maybe he's right maybe the only big club we played for along the way was actually Barcelona yeah um, Dan can do it after the World Cup yeah yeah I mean the, the talk they coming out of PSG at the moment isn't Zidane and keep Pochettino but then find an excuse to sack him yeah, it, see, and then if you're Mbappe and you're playing in, they need Zidane French, not to get the France job. Really, that's what the whole World Cup thing is about. They need to make sure that he's not going to, that something else is going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd be more confident that Zidane would be managing France ahead of PSG. Right, but if you're Mbappe, you're going to be playing in the French league for the next few seasons. You're going to walk that every season, and then it's all about the Champions League. And sometimes what happens is. Because they have this team of stars, but you know, some would say spoiled stars, that when it comes to the fight in the Champions League, they get done. And that could happen for the next three seasons. But it is becoming... Paddy Andrews says he wouldn't accept that excuse from Kerry. I don't think we can accept that excuse from PSG. There, there are no excuses if you're being pumped with the money that they've absolutely there should be no excuses themselves Manchester City and Newcastle United eventually yeah. in three or four years time if it takes that long will have the same lack of excuses just on like who the uh, on the where PSG might actually go from here so the incoming director of football sporting director whatever that is Luis Campos who is who is Portuguese and uh, Ruben Amarim Amarim of uh, Sporting, sporting is uh, a name that's been linked yeah. with it so is that I'm not sure is that just uh, a sort of convenience sort of uh, Portuguese man appoints Portuguese successor like Le Parisien is the, the place I'm reading it from that, mm. that, that uh, have linked them as one of the front runners um, yeah no that, that's the name that I've, I've seen linked to the job and you know you obviously the, the Portuguese link but also you've a really good coach there who you know going from sporting to PSG is a big step but has he got that profile where he says yeah I'd be willing to be part of this but I, I know who's the boss around here and is that a good environment to go into well, maybe he thinks that he's not going to get a better opportunity yeah, to manage one of. It's hard to know. Like, if if for example, uh, Mbappe being the big star means that you get rid of the the Neymar's of the world who are just there to 
like to try and be the big dog and actually it pairs down to only players who want to play with Kylian Mbappe and those players are all young and hungry and look forward to being led by him there is a world in which that works there's loads of worlds the vast majority of cases where this happens in football it hasn't worked in basketball it works all the time where there's one totemic figure who gets everybody together and says you need to come and play with me and like generally they know exactly what they want now I'm not saying he's a, a tactical mastermind who's going to be able to set a team up for Catanaccio style nil all away from home in a Champions League semi-final to see you through but that's what you bring the manager in for and you hope that like so if they stop signing superstar Galacticos who are past it and uh, stop indulging the Neymars of the world can they stop themselves though when they have so much money and they think yeah we'll do that why not let's get Messi in you know, we, they obviously have Neymar. Somebody else will come up to think, yeah, wouldn't mind that because they like to flex their muscles. They haven't got. They should sell Messi now, or let him go this summer. Mm. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's they like a, well, I think that Messi as well is probably looking around at the situation, thinking who's the big dog in this dressing room now. And it's, well, it's it, not him anymore. No, no. and I, I don't. Maybe you can make a case that it barely was him when he arrives, despite the fanfare that he arrived to. I'm not sure if I do agree with the fact though that you know it'll work out one way or the other with this sort of totemic figure trying to build a team around. Well, him. It could be a disaster. It, it could be a complete disaster. And like, it, does it work in the NBA? Like, I mean, LeBron's Lakers maybe is the one example where it did. But I think by and large, what we've seen in recent years is uh, some disastrous scenarios where one individual figure tries Miami uh, I, I guess so, but like, there's a big three there but like if you look at Golden State for example that's very much a team and it's, it's not based on headlines it's based on incredibly gifted athletes and, and, and a good blend of attack and defence like Milwaukee winning last year is a, is a great example where they have their superstar and then they've got a load of players who are su- substantially lower profile than him um, doing the hard yards not that Giannis wasn't doing that himself but there, there was just more of a, a sense to the proceedings whereas the sort of FIFA approach to football teams it just hasn't worked, I don't think. No, I just think you just at that final step, you just get caught out because... Teams are teams. Teams are teams. And you all have to be running in the same direction. And that's Is there a scenario where Deschamps takes over after the World Cup? I, yeah. Like he's never been seen as a particularly brilliant manager, but like maybe it's the Ancelotti-style manager that they need here. Maybe that's what they need. Again. Yeah, they had him. I know. Yeah. So it just seems that whoever's there... They just can't get over that that final hurdle. Well, they've only been in the final. Once. Is is the Marseille thing something that will put off PSG fans? Possibly, and they're 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 not shy the the PSG fans about um, voicing their opinion. But manager yeah. as well as player, Marseille yeah. like it's the I, first club you associated them with. Yeah, I I still think like when a push comes to shove when you get to the latter stages of the Champions League PSG will still just not be able to get it done okay let's very quickly move on we've got like we're way over time quick ones on this right will Ten Hag get the band back together Frankie de Jong move is in doubt they're looking at I've seen them linked with two of the Ajax defence and now uh, an attacker as well Anthony is the one that they've been linked with in terms of attack and he's just your your modern day winger right winger left footed cuts inside but not explosive pace wise but Ten Hag didn't have explosive wingers where you don't have to be able to take on players it's you obviously let the ball do the work you create over laps and that's how you 
you, you create numbers on, on overlaps and that's how you get in behind defences and set up chances so um, he is a really good player he's been linked with a few of the Premier League clubs Liverpool were, were mentioned as well maybe it was when the, the speculation about Salah Newcastle obviously are always going to be linked with players now because they're obviously very rich, rich. Uh, Frank de Jong any of that kind of stuff happening De Ligt I mean De Ligt would be good right yeah, for, I think um, Frankie de Jong would be a better signing in terms of they need him more. Because if they if they get their midfield right, then the defence isn't as exposed. And I think another thing that Ten Hag is going to do is he's going to get them fit. United have not been... like There's fitness levels and then there's just different levels, which is where the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City are. Um, even Leeds are obviously the ones that cover the most ground. United haven't been able to consistently do it. Opposition managers have said it. Hassan Hootel said it. Bruno Lage said it. Ranić obviously said it as well. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. And uh, Declan Rice isn't going to move this summer, is he? I don't know. I, I kind of feel he's in that category of England players that's going to get priced out of a move for a while. So if I was Declan Rice, I'd be running my contract down. I'd Two be years. Like, making sure. And it's, again, somebody gave him bad advice. If he'd stayed with Ireland, he'd be free now. They wouldn't have given him all those big long-term deals, and he'd be. He'd also probably, if he was stay with Ireland, he'd probably be. You'd be quoted at twenty million from. Uh, and he'd be getting all the cash. Yeah, Phil, good stuff. That's this week's. That's today's deal or no deal. But we're back properly. I signed for them after the Euros, and after my first day's training, I was driving home. I was actually thinking, regretting it. What have I done? Oh, like I walked into a circus. It's amazing, isn't it? OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 